High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, first-time drivers, veteran drivers, people in the backseat, hey, even you people in the trunk. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years with the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, school's still in session, and we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results... So are you listening in the car right now? If you are, please don't do this homework. But as soon as you pull over or get to your destination safely, please hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And remember, you can check out this show along with so many other great pop culture podcasts at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me, the flagship Also, while you're at the app where you're listening, and again, hopefully safely pulled over or at a destination, please give us a review or a five-star rating. All that helps the algorithm and helps the ears of the world listen to High School Slumber Party. Remember another thing, too. Class participation, huge, huge part of your grade. So continue, continue participating on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, I respond, and if I don't respond, one of the people that you'll tag, like the guest, will respond before me. We've had that. We've had some dialogue today, just looking at Twitter, about older episodes, like, what was the conversation about today? Oh, our Fast Times at Ridgemont High episode, Damone. Dan Colon was our guest that day, and he's got some real, real personal feelings when it comes to Damone. And, oh yeah, we had some Twilight conversation over the weekend. <laughs> also, Kate Hudson responded to our picks last week. Rudy was one of our rental picks for a Lucas episode, and she's not a big fan of Rudy, so I kind of retold the story a little bit on Twitter. We have a blast on social media, so check us out. Like I said, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Of course, your homework as we are deep into our Cory lap, was to listen to that Lucas episode, and it was to watch License to Drive today. The Mikester, Mike Manzi, has returned, and he'll be with us this entire, entire to Corey's lap. And we got both Corys today with License to Drive. I can't wait. This is a fun movie. We have a great conversation. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Come on, guys. The bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. Class is not over yet. Wanted to mention a couple things about this episode. So, little embarrassing error I made. I go on a whole rant about how great the movies are from 1987, my birth year. And it's a great year. So I didn't want to cut it out of the episode because, yeah, awesome movies. However, if you were born in 1988, you're in luck 
So is License to Drive. I thought it was an 87 movie. It's actually an 88 movie. So that whole rant is pointless. Still listen anyway, but just know, yeah, I screwed up. Also, going to tease this in the next couple of weeks. Joe Lewandowski has a new show coming out. Maybe we'll bring him on to tell us all about it. That should be exciting. So keep your ears open for that. Look at cageclub.me for that. That's coming in early June. That's all I'm going to say for now until I get the whole 411 from Joey. It's about time, though, to pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother Sydney Bryans, because we're about to get our party on. Not going to lie, I'm kind of rushing to get to the song, because we're going to leave you with Billy Ocean, Get Out of My Dreams, Get Into My Car, the hot song off this License to Drive soundtrack. Class dismissed. have been on a Too Fast Too Forever yeah, uh, okay. at some point. We're, we're going to cut right to the chase. Pun intended. Absolutely they have to cover this movie. This is one of the best car stunt films ever. Bottom line. <laughs> That's high praise. Dude, right there. I have never seen a... I mean, look, I mean, if you listen to the behind the scenes, okay, it's not... They fudged it a bit, but I've never seen a, a backwards driving scene like that in any other movie attempted or even, you know, faked. I don't know. You listen to the behind the scenes? Sorry, man. I listened to the director and writer were on the uh, audio commentary on the DVD. So oh my I, had to, I had to double dip. You're going to have a lot to say. I can't wait. I well, can't wait, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Too Fast, Too Forever, though. The Fast and Furious podcast on this very network. Joey Lewandowski, Joe 2, you're on notice. I don't always want to antagonize Joey on this show, but then what do you what are you doing so... it for? No, because <laughs> it just seems like. <laughs> <laughs> but like behind the scenes, I suggest so many movies for like laps and for pit stops mm-hmm. or for Patreon episodes. And if you look at, I don't want to again jump too far ahead, but if you just read critical things, or you've never seen this movie, maybe you're just, again, read a blurb about it, you're going to be like, this is just some dumb movie. But this totally belongs, this is my plea to you, Joey and Joe, too, this totally belongs on some pit stop, on some 
some lap of Too Fast Too Forever. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. I mean, I'm sure they'll get around to it, you know? <laughs> how can't you? But it's just so weird how, like, I didn't realize what a predominant, like, car film this really is, you know? I mean, it's such a part of car culture in general, like, not just of the 90s when the movie was made, but it pays homage to, like, American graffiti and stuff, you know, going all the way back to that in Americana and things. So I found it very interesting how in line it is at the end of the day with something like a car action series of films like the Fast and Furious series, you know, there's other, there's tons of other stunts in this movie too, and not even car related, just like people jumping out of windows and things like that. So yeah, it definitely fits the bill. And I know what you're saying, man. I mean, like, even I'm in a them with suggestions but one series this or if I could even call it a series that this reminds me of are the Ron Howard car crash films of the 70s that he made when he was sort of a youngster coming up uh, Grand Theft Auto and Eat My Dust like they are just kind of carapaloozas you know what I mean just mayhem on the road at all times and I definitely got a flavor of that with this you know the teen car genre action flick never really was a thing I guess Uh, but it feels like this movie tried to make it one again or something Mike introduce yourself before I forget about that because I'm about to go (laughs) off on tangent city (laughs) absolutely Mike Manzi RHS class of 97 go maroons and of course today we are continuing our Corey Marathon. We're going to be talking and doing a lot of Corey films. And we're talking about License to Drive with both Corys from 1987. My next tangent, 1987, the year I was born. Wow. Dan Colon does this where I think for around his birthday or something, Dan Colon of, of course, your your other podcast, The Monsters That Made Us. Yes. He does this thing where he watches a bunch of 1987 films around his birthday, I think. And Kyle and I have actually talked about like, you know, we always bandy about potential podcast ideas, and he's born in 87 as well. 87 in film is just awesome. Yeah, and not awesome yeah. in like a, you know, like these are the greatest films ever made, but just rewatchability. And this is this is part of it. I love 87 in film. Yeah. Yeah. And 80, 86, I think, is also huge. 86, 87, 88, it's like, you know, movies that were made and released within that period are sort of all from the same kind of energy, it seemed, you know, and like, there's a lot of great horror in 86, um, and a lot of great action in 87 and so forth. But I absolutely agree. It's funny that, that you were born the year this came out. I was there in theaters. I was <laughs> I was a seven year old. Taking uh, your nephew. No, oh, my sister took me. <laughs> but uh, wow, yeah. you saw this in theater. I saw this in town at the Ridgewood Theater. I think I, I had to go with my sister. What's this rated? PG thirteen, I think. Like I wasn't. Yeah, it's PG thirteen. So yeah, there had to be a guardian to buy my ticket. <laughs> and I was dying to see this movie. My sister had already seen it and was sort of like, she was one of the more. I guess one of the bigger reasons I got into the Corys because she was like hanging pictures on her wall from Teen Tiger Beat magazine and all that kind of stuff (laughs) at the time. So that's sort of where I became aware of it. And, you know, I got to tell you, like the way the way I sort of epitomized Corey Feldman at the peak of cool from Dream a Little Dream. That's how I felt about Corey Haim at the time in this movie. I was like, this kid is 
the coolest, you know? <laughs> uh, come to find out a few years later, like, his character is, like, kind of not a cool kid in class. I didn't really get that. But I, I don't know. Like, I, yeah, I sort of had, like, the same vibes and everything going through it, but with an opposite Corey this time. So it's pretty funny. And look, I kind of envy that position of yours of being able to uh, see these movies of 87. Because, I, I don't know, it seems like a lot of them you could just walk into and just have a good time. Not that they were necessarily great. Like, let me just go through, like, a list of movies that I just Googled 1987 quick. Can't Buy Me Love, which we've talked about. Yep. Some Kind of Wonderful, Summer School, The Lost Boys, uh, Less Than Zero, Adventures in Babysitting, The Secret to My Success, The Untouchables, <laughs> Harry and the Hendersons, Full Metal Jacket, Dirty Dancing, Predator, Moonstruck, which is awesome. If you want to talk horror... Hellraiser and Nightmare on Elm Street 3, one of your faves. There Dream, go, Warriors. The Dream Warriors. Running Man, Lethal Weapon, Princess Bride, Fatal Attraction, Three Men and a Baby, La Bamba, <laughs> Raising saw, Arizona. Saw, saw La Bamba in theaters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I know. Love that flick. Shout out to Bob. What up, Isai Morales? <laughs> Kyle's dad's favorite movie. I always like saying that. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> Over the top, the Monster Squad, saw that in, oh, man, I'm not going to start this up again, but you, I've seen so many of these in theaters. Wow. Uh, Spaceballs, Wall Street, <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop 2, I think. Yep. Three Clock High, which we've covered, you know? Yes. I mean, so Evil Dead 2. There's so many from that year that are just like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. I might have said Predator. If I didn't say Predator, yes, I'm you saying did. Predator again. Said Predator. Yep. Like, it's hiding out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Hollywood was on a roll, man. Like, they were, you know, they were... Just, just fun shit. Just fun shit. Just fun. A lot of that stuff is, like, highly quotable. You didn't have to think too hard. Not that you had to turn your brain off. Not that you couldn't write a paper on any of these movies. But it wasn't about that. It was just about entertainment and spectacle and going and having a good time. Um, I remember that lots of big releases during the summers started happening again. And, oh, man, just, yeah, crazy time. Harry and the Hendersons, wow. <laughs> and, and again, you have things like uh, The Untouchables, Moonstruck, and Wall Street being mm-hmm. the things that sweep the Oscars, which they're good movies. Look, I love Moonstruck, but I wouldn't call them the most heavy films. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's You watch what I'm the saying. Oscars today, you want to shoot yourself. Sorry <laughs> for saying that. But you no. know what I mean? Yeah, they're yeah, great yeah. great movies, but, uh, you know, we covered Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, a movie on here that wasn't an Oscar film, but it's, you know, it's about a teenage girl getting an abortion, you know? Moonstruck? Much lighter than that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what I was sort of alluding to, you know? And, like, the art house was still around because the independent film wasn't really a thing yet. It was just sort of coming into its uh, creation, I guess, at that time. You know what I'm saying? Like, whatever year Sex, Lies, and Videotape came out in, like, three years or something. So, like, that whole market, that whole scene wasn't even, like, a mainstream thing yet. Like, this is the mainstream. This is blockbuster. Even if they're not all explosions it's a blockbuster film it's a john hughes film you know a lot of kids are going to go see that if it's you know an arnold film you know pretty much everyone's going to go see that but like you know you catch my drift like meryl streep Cher, or someone they put out a movie like everyone's going to go you know they're just it was a time when there was a lot of star power and all that stuff was still happening great just a different hollywood it's so weird so weird to think about I guess let's pivot back into the Corys here, mm. pivot back into License to Drive, which 1987, though, prime two Corys season. <laughs> As mentioned on previous episodes, we're not doing these in order. We're kind of just picking somewhat randomly or 
the stuff we want to do. We're going to bring on some guests soon as well for these Corey laps, but we've covered Dream a Little Dream. We've covered Lucas. Now we're doing License to Drive, flip-flopping. But this is, as you said, your sister with the Teen Beat and Tiger Beat magazine pictures, you know? Like, this, this is the prime of that. And you've already shared a little bit of your history with this movie that you saw it in theaters. Is this a movie you've revisited since then? You must own the DVD or something to listen to the director's commentary. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I've watched this hundreds of times probably in my life. Um, <laughs> like, I've always probably owned a copy, like a VHS copy, a DVD copy. I, I sort of, like, rediscovered it, I guess, in high school with my friends when we would sit around and rent movies from Blockbuster or just, like, bring over v- uh, copies to each other's houses and things like that. And this became a very highly quoted movie among us because, like, I had a lot of friends that were really into cars and stuff, and they weren't they were kind of slim pickings when it came to, uh, I guess, car flicks at the time during the mid-90s on VHS. Like, this is before Fast and Furious 1 even came out. Yeah, like, all, a lot of lines as I'm going through this, like, you know, stop sign, Dad. Like, good call, Les. Like, all that. Every time there was a stop sign, someone would probably say that. Let's take her for a cruise. Like, my friend said that all the time, jokingly. Just, like, watch this, like, always. Like, it's always been sort of, like, in and out of rotation, you know, in the last, like, 30 years. This was the Corey's film that I was most familiar with, but I had no ancient history with it like you. This was actually a film that Netflix had on what feels like for years, and doing this podcast, I would just put movies on in the background, usually not teen movies, but even predating that, when I was just bored, this would come up and I would say, this movie looks fun. And I watched this movie a ton of times, and I say a ton, like three or four times in recent years. And I don't know, it just, it was just like one of those popcorn movies, like whatever, like things are happening in the background. It's great. It seems fun. Uh, I'll talk about a bunch of things that drew me in originally, but Again, I, I can't say it enough. This this is like such a film for its era and such a good kind of VHS film that you could just pop in and not have a care in the world. Yeah, yeah. It's thankfully it's only got like a few problems, you know, <laughs> like if we're going to um, sort of stack it up against history and, and the modern day and things like I don't know that they would remake this or anything today. But like it's got a vibe of like a cartoon or a comic book or something like that. Like it's not taking itself seriously. It's going to break the fourth wall. Like it's aware of what's going on at all times. I feel like, I feel like this is a really smart movie. The screenwriter and the director seem to, I don't know, just like be in the zone when they were making this one. They were quite young as well. They were like in their early and mid twenties when they made this movie. Wow. Yeah. So it was, I believe both of their first like actual gigs like, you know, big budget, you know, movies uh, that they made. And I think they just knocked it out of the park. You know, I think despite like its few issues or whatever here and there, it always tries to keep it light and remind you this is more of a fantasy than anything else. For sure. For sure. Um, I do have my opinions on the film. Like, I really like it. Just off the bat, I'll tell you, I think the first half is a lot stronger than the second half of the film. The first half gives me, like, no pun intended, I'm, like, rev to go. And the second half, it's a little uneven. Maybe you'll explain why from listening to the director's take on it. Um, I have some notes on it as well. And by the way, that director is Greg Beeman. He also directed, let's see, Mom and Dad Save the World, 
Okay. <laughs> bushwhacked. Right. Not too much stuff, right? Um, mm-hmm. Then Neil, Neil Tolkien was the writer. He's done a couple stuff as well. There was a rumor that they were trying to get John Hughes to direct it, but he was kind of in a weird place. Some kind of wonderful came out that year. And as I explained recently on our birthday episode where I did a commentary on 16 Candles, Anthony Michael Hall and Molly Ringwald are kind of like breaking up with him at this point. Hmm. And he really, really wanted Anthony Michael Hall to be the lead and Molly Ringwald to be Mercedes. And both of them had kind of got to the point like, hey, can we do other stuff? Anthony Michael Hall ends up doing Saturday Night Live. Um, They just wanted to move on and not play Hughesian teenagers anymore. So I read a couple notes that said that like because he couldn't get them, he wasn't interested in essentially projects he wasn't writing, and he would kind of quit teen films in a year or two anyway. So this became kind of, you know, this is known as a Corey's film. Let me read, for those not familiar with it, the back of the VHS, and then we'll talk more about the Corey's. Great back, by the way. (laughs) For these guys, there's only one way to live. In the fast lane. Shift into high gear with two of today's hottest young actors, Corey Haim, and Corey Feldman in the hilarious hit action comedy License to Drive. Les and Dean are two teenagers longing to live life in the fast lane. Fun, freedom, and girls will all be theirs if only they can get a driver's license. So unless fails his road test, their dreams are shattered and the boys set off on a collision course of comic disaster. License to Drive will drive you wild with its sizzling soundtrack featuring Billy Ocean, Belinda Carlisle, etc., etc. And the fast and furious action that will set the entire family (laughs) on the road to laughter. There you go. They even knew it. (laughs) There it is. Right there on the back of the box. And License to Drive talks about one of these iconic touchstones of teen films. And that's, especially in the United States, I would think, but that's getting your driver's test as a teenager. We see this come about in a lot of things, even like Clueless, right, where the driver's test is a part of the plot point. But this is the movie for that, you know? (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, this is the whole movie based around that one uh, conceit, ultimately. And, like, what a great idea to uh, be able to stretch something that far, you know, and not feel strained, in my opinion. Like, I, I could go for uh, another 20 minutes, maybe, somewhere in here, probably before <laughs> the night starts happening. Yeah, but you're so right about that. Uh, it's a rite of passage, you know, like in America, or at least was. I don't know what's going on nowadays with, with kids. They've got, like, hoverboards and all kinds <laughs> of gy- gyro contraptions that they their jetpacks you know i don't you know when do you get a license for your jetpack these days but um quick funny story about when i got my license if if that's okay Uh, yeah of course i was just gonna ask sure because like you also get a permit you know you get the permit uh do you still get a permit like when i was a kid you got a permit first and like you could drive with an adult in the car with you before like eight o'clock or some shit like that there was a different i guess laws and different counties and stuff but when i went to go on my birthday to do the actual driver's license test like i aced everything and all that kind of stuff but over the year i had changed the way i signed my name so (laughs) when my signature on on like all my license stuff didn't match all the stuff on my permit so they like couldn't give me my license and my mom and my brother had to come down as witnesses to claim that i was who i said i was (laughs) and bring identification 
registration and a birth certificate and it was like a whole extra hour and a half of bullshit that I had to go through that day and I was already like kind of fired up because of, you know it had wanted to get out of there and everything but yeah that was my kind of quick dumb license story <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone has a license story or learning how to drive right like I, I remember you know my mom like taking me out on a drive and me kind of crashing the car not seriously oh. but just, I was just so nervous you know not a crazy story around that but I was a super super nervous driver at the beginning um, I passed on the first try but still even after that like my mom would make me go pick up Chinese food or something along those lines, just so I would get the confidence to drive. Because I, again, I was super nervous. Yeah. And I'm born in I'm born in August, so I was one of the mm-hmm. last people of my friends. Me too. To get a driver's license, right? So mm-hmm. I was going to ask, right? There was always the friends who got it earlier, and they were just like they took up the driving load. You know? Yeah, what I mean? yeah, yeah. I had friends who had it like junior year in high school, like that were yeah, because I had friends who I guess had birthdays in. February and March that year so they would get their license at the end of the school year and then I had to wait for the summer and then senior year I guess I had mine as well but yeah I was at like kind of the end of the line there but it's funny man because you know we live in a state where people drive like fucking psychos and and like everywhere (laughs) like it doesn't matter like back roads highways like parkways you know, you name it. There are mental cases on our roads left and right in New Jersey. Uh, and, you know, I'm one of them from time to time, you know. But, like, that's the thing. I don't I don't blame you for being a bit, you know, kind of hesitant behind the wheel as, a, as a, like, a first-time driver. Um, one thing I really credit my instructor doing is taking me on the highway, like, the very second day. Like, the first day was sort of normal, and the second day, it was, like, pouring rain, and he's like, we're going on the highway, and he just, you know, threw me to lines, I guess, or whatever, you know, sink or swim time, right? And, like, you know, I just made it through that, and after that, I sort of had no issue from then on. Nowadays, I hate to drive. I mean, my eyesight sucks more at night, and, um, you know, I just don't like sitting for long distances. I get more antsy and shit like that, but, um, you know, back in the day... You know, I was okay about it. But definitely our state is a rough one. For sure, for sure. And I'm glad you bring up New Jersey because New Jersey, this movie takes place in California, but New Jersey epitomizes what the 1980s on film and in society in general was all about, right? Like white flight had happened from the cities and we're in the Ronald Reagan times, war on drugs, things like that. But in art and I guess... Propaganda might be too harsh of a word, but I don't know. The American fantasy even was having that home in the suburbs, your kids growing up there. We get a lot of these high school movies that not only are filmed in the suburbs or the valley or places like that, but that take place there. On top of that, it starts this whole kind of secondary driving culture. You mentioned American graffiti, California. California's always kind of been like that, but I think the move to the suburbs largely around the country, you know, which again started in the 50s and such, mm-hmm. but is is gets its pinnacle right in the 80s, means driving suddenly is so much more important to teens than like, you know, my parents grew up in the city. I don't think they got their driver's license right away. I live in the city now. Kids only get their driving license if they had to. But in the suburbs, you turn 16 or 17, whatever age that was, especially, again, the Reagan suburbs where you got to go to the mall and shit. 
you get your license, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it was, I, I mean, again, I think it is just more of like a state of mind too, living in the suburbs as a kid and having the license and stuff. And, you know, maybe it did have something to do with like the emergent of like that sort of second wave of the car culture. Um, I mean, because like there were a lot of, quote unquote gearheads at my school like we had car shop and you know all that kind of thing and you 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 could be trained in that vocation to go on and be a mechanic from our school if you wanted to like it was pretty cool like in that way and there were a lot of cool cars at our school but again you you know it's because there are a lot of sort of wealthy well-to-do families (laughs) in my town as well and so it could sort of afford to participate in that culture um but certainly Whenever, whenever, like we got cars, it's like what we did every Friday, Saturday night. Like we would still just drive around for an hour or two, you know. Like it was just a thing to do. Maybe again, there's there was no internet. I don't know if that was a factor. Um, there were like, you know, far less things to do like online like that. But I mean, we we would go to Sports World uh, in the swing. Like you could just get yourself where you wanted to go when you wanted to go. And that meant a lot, you know, and uh, you mentioned the city, like driving to the city. That was always a huge thing, too, you know, and being able to just do that as well. So I think it's just a matter of being resourceful, too, you know, like um, adding a sense of responsibility as well. Like a, a lot of things are sort of packaged with the concept of, you know, being a driver. So I could see how it sort of fit into the formula of you know, the modern family uh, image or, or whatever they're trying to go for. It's also Detroit selling cars. You know what I mean? Oh, it, God, yeah. Ca- <laughs> fucking cars. The the nice guys. Check out that movie. It's all about the, you know, Detroit conspiracy carburetors and all that kind of shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's great. It's a time capsule. I wrote down that, like, in 1988, you know, the, the Iron Curtain is... is started to show some cracks right if you want to show someone in the soviet union like what american life is at least the portrait of american life right show them this movie because just like girls cars but just silly teens just trying to get by i I love it (laughs) there's something that the director commented on about that very thing where he's like look at these kids like they really don't have like any problems like their families are pretty well off they're rich like they've got enough stuff like their dad's gonna buy them cars when they need them you know they didn't have to work for any of this stuff like i don't know what that says ultimately but it is kind of like a way to to just focus on the other stuff better i guess you know that it's just weird i i agree like this is what's being exported as the common ideal when it's just completely not like this is <laughs> like there's a lot of real stuff in like my family feels a lot like this family but in the the screenwriter mentioned like he based a lot of this on his own family so it's not that kind of stuff it's just more like this isn't the neighborhood i grew up in these aren't um the friends i had kind of situation and like you know we were not giving cars for our 16th birthdays <laughs> So let's get back into the Corys, Corey Feldman and Corey Haim. Corey Haim is our lead here as Les Anderson. A lot of people apparently tried out for this role, uh, Ben Affleck being one of them, apparently. Oh, my gosh. Which is insane to think about. Um, And then Corey Feldman plays his best friend, Dean. Now, this apparently started to sow some rifts between the Corys, because once again, 
Corey Haim started beating out Corey Feldman for roles. If you remember on Dream a Little Dream, that's Feldman in the lead and Haim as kind of the buddy. But before that, there was a whole streak of Feldman losing out to Haim. Lost Boys. As you know, uh, Corey Feldman is that secondary character, one of the Frog Brothers, and Corey Haim is the lead there. Lucas, again, as, as we mentioned, Corey Feldman auditioned and Corey Haim got the role. There's this movie we're not going to cover because it's not a teen film called Murphy's Romance. That's another one that Haim beat out Feldman for. So Feldman was like super, super hurt to lose out the role, happy to work with his friend. But I just found that super interesting as well. But you probably guessed this, Mike, and maybe they even said it in the commentary. Maybe as a consolation prize, I'm not sure. But they let Corey Feldman choose his own wardrobe. So he wore the sunglasses and he did his thing, essentially. <laughs> and, you know, he looks good. I mean, he's in style, right? Uh, why not let him bring his own clothes Cut down on a little bit of uh, wardrobe cash there, too, as well. The fashion in this movie overall is bananas out of control. And they did comment on that on the commentary where they're like, we just did not have someone on set that knew fashion and knew what they were doing. Um, he didn't <laughs> put it He didn't put it quite so politically correct, but he was just like, you know, what? I didn't know anything about style. And so everything is kind of like that. It's just he, not that everyone got to bring their own clothes, but it was like, I didn't know how to dress, you know, um, Heather Graham. I didn't know how to dress Corey Feldman. So I said, yeah, just bring your stuff if you feel more natural and if it's more comfortable. That's crazy. It's kind of crazy that like Corey Feldman is feeling kind of like, maybe not animosity or whatever like that, but like, again, maybe not, great because he's coming in second so much to these Corey Haim losses but the way I looked at it was like Corey Feldman's in so much more stuff already than Corey Haim and will sort of go on to be in more things by himself as well that I'm surprised that it got to him in the same way you know I just figured when they got together not that he's second fiddle necessarily but like they're just not per se, like, his lead role. This is close to sort of 50-50, but, yeah, story-wise, it's all the Haim characters, like, very sort of dominant over the whole thing because it's his date. But they did a good job, I thought, of of trying to give him a whole lot of screen time. I mean, you probably could have gotten rid of Charles, and he would have been a bit happier if it was just the two of them. <laughs> and, uh... According to lore, neither Corey had their license during the filming of this movie, and they let them drive anyway at certain... Well, they let uh, Corey <laughs> Haim drive at certain points anyway. <laughs> sure was a close set, you know? <laughs> yeah. And there were so many stunt drivers on set as well that I doubt anything could have possibly gone wrong. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, don't let him get in the car that goes over 30 miles an hour. One of my favorites is in this film. Carol Kane plays yes. the mom. Love her. She's in a lot of teen stuff. We talked about her in When a Stranger Calls, but she's like a mom in a ton of stuff or like a guidance counselor. And I love her from Taxi. I love her from so many things. Yeah, she was in Princess Bride this year too, I guess. (laughs) Princess Bride, you're right. I mean, she's in Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen with Lindsay Lohan later. I counted like four or five teen films that she ends up being in. And she's just great. She's just like a great comedic actor. And so she's Mrs. Anderson. And Mr. Anderson is played by 
Richard Mazur. Are you familiar with him? Because I know him from a couple things. I know him mostly from this. He's gr- he's great in this. He's I've a- always like loved him in this. He's incredible in this. And to think that like I think he's my age uh, in this movie, you know, and to sort of wrap my mind around having twin teenagers, <laughs> a kid in middle school, and two on the way, like I would have lost my mind you know, years before this poor guy. Like, I empathized with him so hard. This watch through, like, I was really on his side. I loved his performance. He's a guy that if you watch TV, he appears in a lot of things, a lot of things. Um, he got his start really on Rhoda, which is Mary Tyler Moore oh, spinoff. Cool. But, like, he's was in some seasons of Orange and the New Black. And I don't know, again, I, I see him and I remember him from stuff and I can't think... Yeah. For some reason, I saw this movie recently where Billy Crystal plays a referee. Forget Paris is the film. Deborah Winger. He plays an NBA referee. Well, Whatever. He's in that movie as well. Um, my Giant? Love, no. Not My Giant. Not My Giant. Which I saw in the theaters, My Giant, oh, with, my, with my uncle. <laughs> I was a basketball fan, but it wasn't a very basketball movie. The air up there? Anyway. The air up there. Oh, I used to love the air up there. Kevin Bacon game. <laughs> <laughs> I think they make such a great couple. Yeah, yeah. Right, he's but... a great character actor. Totally. You're right, though. The family, the fact that they have so many kids is just I- incredible. But they they keep it together, and you feel like they're mm-hmm. a real family. It doesn't feel like caricature. Like We yeah. both love Better Off Dead. But that definitely feels a lot more cartoony. Right. Like this wasn't Savage Steve Holland cartoony level. No, no, this is more like just from Wes's perspective or Les's. Sorry, I used to think it was Wes. It's Les. <laughs> uh, but this is more from Les's perspective, kind of thing. And like he would see his home life as mundane, boring, and you know, escapable kind of stuff, right? So like it's coming across almost like an Amblin film at times, like like Spielbergian mm. or something like that. This is how I took the film. Like it's got the clutter, but it's not messy. See, like they're not hoarders. There's just like so many people that you don't know where to stuff stuff sometimes. Um, like it definitely feels more like an organic situation than most movies for sure. And the sister is played by Nina Sazmazko. Uh, sorry, Nina, if I said your name wrong. Um, twin sister. I love this too. I love how he has just like a goody two shoes twin sister who's not your traditional like stuck up. She's not a Ferris Bueller sister, right? She's not, <laughs> she's not Jeannie. But she, she's interesting and different in a way, and she has a communist boyfriend. Yes, who, yes, she's a commie as well. <laughs> which, again, goes to that whole, like, Reagan thing where we're supposed to laugh, like, ha-ha, the working class, ha <laughs> you know, a little bit. Not to that level. And he's played yeah. to 11, this boyfriend. His name is Carl, for God's sake. Yeah, play, played by none other than uh, George Clooney's very best friend, Grant Heslov. Yeah. He came up a lot in the late 90s in, like, a lot of action movies and small roles. He was in True Lies and stuff, uh, but then became, like, a very big award-winning you know, filmmaker later on. Yeah, when I look that up, I'm like, oh, this guy? Like, <laughs> I think that's so cool. Carl with a K. <laughs> like, yes, yeah. his touch. Of course. And I love their little dynamic here. Um, just going through the rest of the cast, of course, you mentioned uh, Mercedes, Mercedes Lane, one of the great teen film names of all time. Heather Graham, in, you know, one of her first roles. This is crazy seeing her because she would get kind of really popular in the 90s. And, you know, I think of Boogie Nights and things yeah. like that. And yeah, crazy. Yeah, it's funny because when Boogie Nights 
came out, I was like, who's Heather Graham? And then I went and I rewatched License to Drive. I was like, holy crap, that was her the whole time? Like, it was Agatha <laughs> all along? I was like, what? Uh, yeah, I, th- I do believe this was the very first thing that she was in. I think she did that Matt Dillon, uh, Gus Van Sant movie after this, I think. Which one? That was a really good one. Oh, we should know. We should know. Uh, know. Drugstore Cowboy, Drug- of course. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. Yeah, she's in that for a minute. It's funny how I just, like saw this movie a thousand times and then saw Roller Girl and never put the two and two together. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Again, I didn't see this as a kid. So by the time I'd seen it, I'd already seen Boogie Nights, but I was like, oh, holy shit. Heather Graham, you know? And it's crazy. It's great. The hair, that pink dress. It's just very, very iconic looking movie heroine, if we want to call her that. Just to round out the cast a bit. Yes. How about uh, Uncle Phil himself, yes. James Avery, as the, the DMV sh- instructor? <laughs> the Shredder. Shredder, yeah. Awesome to, to see and hear because he's kind of putting on the Shredder voice. You know, he's doing his tough guy thing. <laughs> yeah, he, he's a, he's certainly a mix of Uncle Phil and, and the Shredder. <laughs> <laughs> Again, growing up, loved Ninja Turtles, loved Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, never knew he was the voice of Shredder. I don't think until he passed away I was aware of, of that, which uh, my, you know, I just, I took points away from myself uh, <laughs> for not catching that. Oh, I was in the same boat, though. It wasn't like, I didn't know he was the voice of Shredder until, maybe not when he passed away, but until I did like a... Uh, Adult Wikipedia deep dive. We'll put it yeah. that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyone else in the film really stuck out to you as someone we should mention or talk about? I think nobody, nobody that I personally uh, recognized or knew. Uh, just like one or two quick tidbits from the audio commentary. The punks that they keep running into in this are stuntmen that were on set that were doing performing the actual some of the actual stunts and stuff. So they, he just kind of like dressed up the stuntmen because they already look like tough looking punks and <laughs> just like threw them on screen and stuff. <laughs> and they mentioned that the guy, the drunk at the end, wrote... So I don't think they could remember exactly what he wrote and I don't remember the guy's name either and I'm looking for him online here and I can't sort of like suss him out in the lineup. He wrote some some movies or he was a screenwriter at some point too. And then I guess his teacher that briefly makes an appearance was um, sort of like an old school character actor in a bunch of Westerns or something. I mean, just just things that they dropped on the audio commentary. Gotcha. And then I guess I should mention Charles, the third friend who, like you said, whatever. Oh, yeah, I guess so. Played by Michael Mansari, Mansari, who was only... 13 when they filmed this movie. Whoa. Are you serious? He looks like the oldest out of all of them. He does. He does. That's why I was like, what? And I I double-checked, and yeah, crazy, right? Yeah, look at that. 1974. Crazy. And Mike, I can't believe it. I was shocked when I saw it because I did not remember. I was very happy for you with the opening of this movie because we get another dream sequence. Yeah. (laughs) It's very Dream Warriors. This is... You know, definitely modeled after Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> like that's well, not that's not said specifically, but you know, he's he's asleep uh, in Driver's Ed, and he's having this you know nightmare slash fantasy about uh, escaping the school bus and hopping in a Ferrari, I believe. Is it a Ferrari that he jumps into? Um, I think so. Yeah, to to sort of escape with uh, Mercedes, his dream girl. 
quite a good setup. Well, I guess the the opening is actually those opening titles, which are really simple, but animated, <laughs> which, which I love. And the Baby You Could Drive My Car cover. Baby You Can Drive My Car. Um, That's a cover? And, yeah, it's not. They could not get the rights to the Beatles. Oh, I guess you're right. That is a... Wait, the Beatles? It's a Beatles song originally, no? The Beatles. Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Is that a solo McCartney effort? That's what I was. No, I live in that movie where the guy hit his head and woke up, and everybody forgot about the Beatles. (laughs) But we do again open up in that driver's ed class. It's technically the last day of driver's ed. We get a little clip of that like dumb driver's ed video. Uh, It's pretty pretty cool. What'd you uh, What'd you think of this opening? It's awesome. Like it grabbed me immediately, and it got me engaged right away when I was rewatching it. I like how it starts in the fantasy and then we see, you know, his reality and stuff because that's what most of the movie's going to be anyway is going to sort of mirror this dream sequence like there's going to be going through puddles is a lot like is a big thing I feel like that comes up a lot just like having Mercedes in the car with him uh, throughout the entire movie like that's going to happen she might be in the trunk at some point she's in, <laughs> <laughs> she's in the car and him like ending, ending up uh, as like a precision driver by the end of the film as well like it's a cool foreshadowing thing that your mind doesn't you know is happening but like if you've seen it as many times as I have I was like holy crap they're sort of setting up like the entire thing right right at the beginning I do want to talk a little bit more about Mercedes too because again yes. she's our she's our it girl here she's the girl of his dreams but is she dating an Italian adult at the beginning of this movie so so he's not in high school he goes to the 21 and over club so I think he's in college you know didn't you ever weren't there there were definitely people and not just girls but guys and stuff like in my high school who stayed together I guess after one graduated and one was in college and the other was still in high school this doesn't seem like that situation this seems like some some college guy like poached her out of the crowd one day at the mall or something (laughs) with his like suave sort of accent and all that kind of euro trash look going on with him paolo or whatever like ugh, gross (laughs) paolo uh who i thought was pablo because again and i thought less was wes like i had trouble with the names back in the day and stuff but yeah shout out to paolo maybe it's mandela effect maybe those were their names in the version you saw i don't know what would wes be short for because less is Wesley? Okay, yeah, I guess you're right, yeah, because Les is Lester, right? His name is Lester. Could be Leslie, like Leslie Nielsen. Might be. Theoretically. Possibly. <laughs> possibly. I mean, Ash is short for Ashley. Like, Ashley is a is a unisex name. I mean, I guess every name could be. True, true. <laughs> you know, like, I'm not struggling to talk about the things in this movie. It's more that, like, it's an hour and a half, and in Dream a Little Dream, there was a lot of convolution, if that's a word. <laughs> A lot, yeah, yeah, a lot of yeah. complexity to discuss. This is actually really simple. This movie is really simple. Like a kid needs yeah. to pass his driver's test because he's got to take this pretty girl he likes on a date. And he doesn't pass his driver's test. And he goes out on the date anyway. He steals yes. the car. He goes out on the date. The date goes awry. He needs his friends to help him out. They get into a bunch of mischief. Uh, yeah, the end. I mean, it's almost like... Not... So let's get into our questions. Uh, well, okay. I was just going to say, it's not that like it writes itself, but it's one of those outlines that kind of sees like you can see it 
from the beginning to the end, you know, when you sit down to sort of plot this out, like the events and the actual details aren't always there. But like what what we just said, you know, like that's the pitch. That's a great pitch. For sure. This is like perfect elevator pitch. It wouldn't take you that long to get like some financing for this. And by the way, this movie did become an actual hit. You know, not like a, a major hit. Mm. Definitely something the studios were excited about, I would assume, right? It made uh, $22 million off an $8 million budget, which again... We're not talking Terminator level stuff, <laughs> but that's pretty good. Yeah, and for all of its problems, as many as there are that we're going to get into and stuff, like it tries to, at the end of the day, sort of leave you on the right side of the fence with the morals and stuff. Like, ultimately, Les is a liar, and you see what happens to liars in this movie. Like, they get their comeuppance and shit like that, and by the end, he's not lying anymore. He has sort of forced to tell the truth and stuff. And like even Corey Feldman at one point is going to say, friends don't let friends drive drunk. You know, after, you know what I'm saying? Like covering their asses almost in this thing. Yeah. I mean, look again, John Hughes movies have more controversy than this. Mm -hmm. Something like 16 Candles, right? Has a lot more controversy than this. Yeah. I mean, the one thing they should have done is just drop Mercedes off at home, right? (laughs) Like instead of shoving her in the trunk. Yeah. (laughs) I don't want to say at least they didn't do anything worse. I was thinking it. But it shouldn't even come, you know, we see in, again, 16 Candles, like there's sexual activity that happens with the drunk girl, right? Like, yeah, that doesn't happen here. No. I mean, again, low bar, low bar to clear. I'm not saying bravo, men, we've won. I'm not saying that. But yeah, I mean, I'm glad that didn't happen. Well, like, that's the thing. Like, these movies are sort of now, like, we look at them and they're a lot darker than they were intending to be, you know? And like, that's just the way things are and like I don't feel like there's any of that in this movie like it's so sort of wholesome on one end right or like trying to retain that sort of whimsy I feel to sort of again be like we understand like no one would ever put their date in the trunk if she passed you know what I'm saying like it's such it seems like such a ridiculous concept at the time that no one thought someone would actually be doing this out there in the real world but you know sadly someone probably did I don't know yes yes unfortunately let's talk though about one of my favorite sequences yes which is the whole DMV passing the test thing I love, I love this sequence (laughs) Uh, first I love the computer test Good afternoon, children. In the next 20 minutes, you will be given 30 questions. Anything over five mistakes will be considered a failing grade. We'll begin at the sound of the bell. Begin. Welcome to the Department of Motor Vehicles Driver's Test. Press start to begin. Question one. What should you do if you miss your exit from an expressway? A. Jam on the brakes and back up. B. Make a quick U-turn. C. Go on to the next one. Correct. (laughs) Question two. Which is usually the smoothest lane of traffic? Why don't they just give licenses away? Incorrect. What? Question three. You must look for bicycle riders in the same lanes used by motor vehicles because they A. Must ride facing oncoming traffic. B. Are entitled to share the road with you. C. Always have the right of way. Incorrect. When 
driving through fog or rain, it is advisable Question to nine. A. Turn on back and have an angle parking place. Incorrect. You should always blink your turn signals regularly. Continue looking through your rear view mirror while back. Turn on your headlights. Seatbelt properly worn. Blow your horn. Look back over your shoulder and back slowly. C. Stop. Incorrect. Warning. One more wrong and you fail. So 80s, these computers. but Not just 80s, but so movies. Just... Yeah. Just doesn't know what to do it with computers. They talk to you during the test. <laughs> yeah, it's designed specifically for this one test. You know, the keyboard has an A, B, and C on it. That's it. Like, what? Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> but I love that this is the part he struggles at. Like, he didn't study as much as he should have. His sister aces this part. Oh, yeah. This is set up perfectly, though. They're Bart and Lisa Simpson. I don't know if they yeah. were inspiration for that, but they are straight up. I mean, Bart and Lisa aren't twins, but, like, he's even writing on the chalkboard over and over again, like Bart does in the opening of The Simpsons, and she's a study buddy, whatever, like, fuddy-duddy, like, always study with a book in her nose, like, very studious, aces everything, and, like, he just blows it off with uh, his slingshot in his back pocket. It's so true it's so true it's amazing how true it's, that it's is amazing. i didn't think about it <laughs> from the chalkboard i will drive safely i will drive safely and the dad's even homer now that i think about it like he is very much a homer simpson like i don't know if this is one of matt Groening's favorite movies or not but like i'm not saying lawsuit either i mean <laughs> i'm just joking but it's <laughs> it's cool i like it yeah, I think it's so cool. I think that's so awesome. Like, you know, brilliant, brilliant comparison. And this is what would happen. I'm sure there's been an episode of just like Lisa and Bart or one of the two, two of them at the DMV oh. taking this test, right? And uh, there was a great episode, the Spring Break episode, where Bart had to go to the DMV for the day with his aunt and he made a fake driver's license and him and a couple friends took a cross-country road trip. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so Corey, uh, Les, fails the exam, but he's kind of saved. And honestly, every time I watch this movie, I'm tricked that, like, you know, he hits the computer screen. They can't get a score. So they assume that he passed because his sister passed. And he's like, yes, great. And I honestly thought that he was going to skirt along somehow. I know he didn't get his license, but I, I, I don't know. Every time it gets me, I'll put it that way. But of course, with every single driver's test that I know of, you got to do the road test as well. Yes. Do you remember your road test, Mike? Uh, yeah, just a real quick thing about to, to put a button on the computer thing. I think that's that's really kind of like tricky writing, you know, because how else do you make it to the road test but fail the written test? Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, if it was done on paper, like, there's no way he could have made it this far. He did, They'd have had to sort of, like, arrange these in reverse, where they do the driving test mm -hmm. part first, and then they do the written thing. So I thought that was kind of clever. It's like, how do you stage this in a sort of semi-believable way? So, yeah, I, I agree. I like all that stuff with the computer and banging on it and all that stuff. So my road test, uh, I took... My test in New Jersey at the time in 1997, 1996, 1996, you would get picked up in a car with like three or four other people that you shared the same birthday with and uh, lived in the same sort of local area. Oh, wow. Yeah, we'd all go together down to the DMV together. I believe I, believe I did mine in Lodi and 
you'd sort of get in line and wait and well first you'd go in and take the written test actually you take both at the same you know the same day you go and do the written i passed the written test no problem then you go get in line to do the driving thing and they had like a like a course like an obstacle course set up there at the time i i think it's still there actually that's where I did it too on that same course. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of cool. I kind of thought it was like fun. Like it kind of took the nerves out of it for me where I was like, oh, this is almost like a game or something, you know, where it's like go up this <laughs> hill, make a right at that stop. So like everything was so manufactured, like a Mario Kart course that like it didn't get to me or make me nervous in any way. And I, I still say this to this day because I don't have a lot of like pride, but I do feel like I am a good parallel parker. And I fucking did this move like Ace Ventura, you know, I'm exaggerating, but like I parallel park so perfectly. And I looked over at the look on the woman's face was like total awe. I was like, <laughs> I felt really good in that moment that like I was going to be okay. And she's like, all right, just pull out. And she just made me drive back to the beginning of the course after that. That's that was awesome. pretty funny. Awesome. <laughs> I remember passing, you know, same place. And I don't have a lot of memories from that day. I mean, I was very nervous, but, you know, just did what I had to do. Uh, I do remember one of my friends, he actually ended up failing a couple times. There was this mm. guy when we were going, and I know this is not politically correct, but I'm just being honest, this is what they called him. One of the exam guys was nicknamed Hitler. And oh, people would be like, oh, I hope you don't get Hitler. Apparently he had, I never saw him, so I don't know, but apparently he had a mustache that was, I can't imagine he actually had a Hitler mustache, but it was a thick, shorter mustache. And apparently he loved to fail people. And my friend went for his license, got this guy and failed. He had to retake it, got this guy again and failed and Damn. he actually ended up getting it on the third try with a different person but like this guy was known in my high school like if you get this guy he checked like if you don't put the mirrors in the right place he fails you like he was like the strictest wow. guy there. that's crazy <laughs> i thought about that when we see their driving exams the sister and less because the sister kind of has this like laid back California dude he kind of like checks her out too it's a little weird but but you know he's everything's really simple and straightforward with her and with him it's uh James Avery and he just has a coffee cup he's like there's a hot cup of coffee and he kicks him on this crazy ass course throughout the town like break here on this hill turn this way he's like if the cup of coffee spills on me I'll be burnt and you'll you know you'll fail last name first first name last Anderson. Les Anderson. Buckle up, son. It's the real world out here. Now, Anderson, I want you to take a long, hard look at this cup of coffee. Now, I love my coffee. It's probably the one thing I truly do cherish on this godforsaken mud ball called Earth. Now, what I'm trying to say is that most examiners use a clipboard. <laughs> I don't believe in them. What I do believe in is my cup of coffee. Now, that coffee's hot, filled right to the brim. If it spilled on me, it probably burned me, huh? Speak up, son. Yeah, yeah. Nobody likes to get burned, do they? No. So it's real simple. You burn me, you fail. You don't, you pass. It's as simple as that.
All right, Anderson. Let's start off with some light traffic. The stakes were so high to me watching this. And he ends up passing. There ended up not being hot coffee in the cup, but he ends up passing. And we learned that he's actually, you know, just by instinct, a good driver. He might not be book smart, right. but he's 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 a good driver. Yeah, and that's going to come into play later, too, where he's sort of like a dumbass, but he's got good, like, in, like you said, like instincts or reactions or like he can think on his feet. He just can't like sit down and like memorize it or whatever and like study it and that kind of thing. Like, yeah, and I know I'm definitely someone I feel like more in that <laughs> zone when I was a teenager too. You know, experiential or learning experiences were way more beneficial for me at the time. Like I always loved going on field trips and shit like that as opposed to having to like sit down and write an essay. But I also love this writing. Like, I love the contrast is elevated between him and his sister. Like, his sister gets the easy breezy guy with, like, the, you know, double mint smile and taking her on, like, the suburban course. Whereas, like, you know, Uncle Phil's bringing him to Compton, more or less. Like, just inner city (laughs) type of, like, you know, next level sort of driving and things like that. Yeah, such such a great sequence here. And, um... Yeah, Uncle Phil is so imposing with, like, he f- they put him in, like, an extra small car to fill, you know, so, like, yeah. his body fills up, yeah. like, the entire seat and a half. <laughs> so terrific. So good. And you think you think he's going to get the license. They actually hand him the license, and you're like, oh, so cool. And then, boom. You're in luck, Anderson. The cup was empty. <laughs> See you on the battlefield sometime, soldier. <laughs> Congratulations. Here's your license. And please, drive safely. Uh, Mr. Anderson, just a minute. Someone wants to speak with you. to retrieve your test results from the computer. And I suppose you already know, you failed. God giveth, and the DMV taketh away. You mustn't fuck with the Department of Motor Vehicles, Mr. Anderson. We can make your life a living hell. The computer's fixed. Mm-hmm. He failed. And it's like, oh my God, he tasted that freedom. Mm-hmm. He tasted it. And he has to he has to be like, no. And just that embarrassment. I know a lot of kids who failed who would not come to school the next day when mm-hmm. I was in high school because they'd be so embarrassed. And then I love, again, I think the stakes are set so well in this scene because you see previous scenes, like that party scene, right? Where they have to get dropped off by... Uh, their moms and yeah, their yeah. parents and like yeah. the nerdiest kids and like you do that and it's like high school suicide especially again in the world they're building here knowing he has that date coming up with his dream girl also he mm-hmm. gets home he gets so much congratulations everyone's like so happy with him like he opens the a box in his room and it's a hat for that bmw he wanted yeah. there's illusions that he actually might get that bmw and then you know what 
I forgot about what happens next. I thought that the parents just assume he got his license. And nope, he like an idiot, he leaves that failed test score in his, uh, I guess, you know, jacket or something or, or pants. His mother finds out. And just this sequence with the dad pouring champagne. <laughs> and he's like, I shouldn't be drinking while driving. He's like, oh, you saved me money. You know, he doesn't even know what he's talking about. He's like... or or whatever he says. I love the dad celebrating that he (laughs) failed the test. That's so good. Yeah, and it's also, you know, catching him in the lie and, you know, sort of digging the knife in his own back and all that kind of stuff. And being a dad, like, you know, holding it over your son's head and just reveling in the moment where you're better than him or something like that. But I also love, you know, when Les fails, like, it wasn't just like him, like his friends were really depending on him, you know, like you mentioned the stuff about their mom dropping them off. And one of my favorite moments is when Dean comes to pick him up and just leans on the horn for like a minute and just until he comes out and it's just like the most obnoxious moment ever. But it's just also one of the funniest things imaginable. Uh, and you just see his mom in the front seat, just like, I can't wait till this kid gets his car or whatever. Like I could stop doing this shit with him. Like everybody has a lot like riding on him. And when he doesn't get his license, like a lot of people don't get what they want. Also, he kind of pulls this thing where he's like, Oh, you know, I'm like real tired. Like I, I took the test and it's like, a lot, you know, thir- like uh, 16 years is a long time to wait. And I just have to go take a nap. Like I do remember coming home and being exhausted because like I had to get up and that like six in the morning and like wait around all day and take a test and another test and like I didn't want to go home and like drive to Toys R Us or some shit I was like there's plenty of time to do all that like I think I did come home and like do nothing for the rest of the day had <laughs> just like a normal afternoon <laughs> but it's the fantasy right it's the fantasy like yes. I get my license I'm yes. free I can take pretty girls to movies now you know so this movie fulfills the fantasy absolutely yeah so Anything else in the film you want to discuss before, essentially, we go on the wild goose chase? Because I mentioned this first act or whatever, up until, like, he gets caught, and I love this first act. Now, I'm not saying I hate the rest of the movie or anything like that, but this is, it's just upping the ante to me, and I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Even when he gets caught, I'm so, I'm so excited. And you know he's going to go on that date anyway, because I think most teenagers, maybe they wouldn't have the guts to do it. But they would at least fantasize on going on that date. Oh, absolutely. And I don't think I ever needed to, like, sneak a car out of a driveway or anything like that. But the thought definitely, like, crossed my mind once or twice when I did, like, sneak out of the house as a kid, as a teenager, even with my license or whatever, when I was still living with, with like, parents in high school. So, like... Yeah, I don't know. The the kid is like living out some kind of yeah, fulfilling a fantasy, you know, or some something like that. But he's got a lot of guts. He's got balls. Here's a thing that that crossed my mind. The night doesn't even really get started till like eleven thirty. Like it seems like yeah, because his parents are in bed. Yeah, his parents are asleep. Everyone's asleep. But yet, like, there's this whole like world going on after midnight. Uh, it almost turns into like one of those after hours type movies you know in a weird way where like the world that goes on when you're supposed to be sleeping is just like out of control beyond your imagination and so like you can't prepare for what's going to happen next kind of situation and this sort of feels like in vain with a lot of that kind of stuff i'm curious to know though like at what point does this movie sort of lose you you know for lack of a better term uh what point are you like 
all right, like this or that, like why isn't it adding up? It's not so much that, and it's not so much I'm overanalyzing or anything like that. It's that I just feel like I'm less invested towards the end. And I think there are some reasons for that, some logical reasons. But before we even get there, I know we're going back and forth, but the whole Mercedes element is sensational. Yes. Because there's that their earlier scene where the dad's letting him drive and he sees her and he wants to pick her up and he makes the dad like kind of hang tight for a little bit so he can drive her like three doors down. Mm-hmm. But he ends up driving her to like a whole different neighborhood because he, this dude just lies and he can't like basically say no to this girl. So he drives her to this other neighborhood. He comes back and the dad is like hauling diapers and stuff. And he's so pissed off. I'm like, and I felt for him, right? Like, dude, dude, totally. He, any dad would be really pissed off at that. But that's just setting up how he's going to be essentially about this date. So when he picks her up, they go to that club or whatever. Or yeah, I don't know. El Rey. They go downtown. They go to the El Rey. <laughs> the El Rey is in like tons of movies. I guess it's like super famous. Gotcha. But yeah, it's uh, highlighted here for sure. So what did you think about, uh, I guess... The early parts of the date before the friends get involved. You know, right, That old right. classic L.A. lookout point. Yeah. He's drunk already. Well, you know, what do you think of this? Well, this is all very interesting with Mercedes. Like, from what they said, like, early test screening, she did not test well. They had to change a lot. Oh, really? Yeah, they had to change a lot about her character because she smokes. The first time you see her, she's smoking a cigarette. In the, she drinks. She, like, dates older men. They felt that she was using less. And I kind of felt the same way, too, to be quite honest about it. Like, when they meet at that party, she has no idea who she is. She's just using him to get away from her creepy boyfriend at the time. She's like, you know, these are my friends. I want to hang out here. And it gets to the point where it's like, I'm busy Saturday night. I'm going out with that guy. And he's like, who, me? And she's like, yeah, you. And so, like, when that actually becomes like a possibility like he thinks it's a real date but she ends up using it to just get a ride to try and go see what Paulo's up to that night like she knows Mm -hmm. he's going to be hanging out at the El Rey she knows that Les is not going to be able to get in it is (laughs) it is kind of dark how like she is just using this kid and he is no he really is clueless about it and it's not even anything that he does or becomes aware of it's she makes a turn after when they get up to like lookout point or whatever, I think there was some rewriting done where she gives like a little speech and she, you know, is like, I'm not normally like this. Like, it's a crazy night like this. You've caught me sort of like in between things or whatever. Like she starts talking like more like a real person as opposed to like, you know, a shallow superficial Barbie or whatever that, that she's being posed as up until that point. And so I think that it was complex and hard and they never really quite got it right in the end at all so that's a it's a difficult sort of character when you're dealing with like a personified vision of someone's dream girl it's already such sort of like a weird concept to begin with it's kind of stalkerish at some points maybe you know he's he's living that stalker fantasy but like deep down he's not that guy which the movie will sort of reveal by the end he he almost cares more about the car than anything else. You know, that becomes his object of affection. So, yeah, okay, that, that does give a lot of insight to me because I find her a very fascinating, interesting character that they just sort of delete. 
midway through the movie mm. because she pa- passes out. And if she was basically more supposed to be this like jerk who's kind of not jerk, but like just someone who's kind of using him. I'm going to use the word bimbo even. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, she was just supposed to be the object of his affection, almost like a sports car rather than a human being. Not that I like that better, but I guess it makes a little bit more sense that, like, oh, what do you do when the hot girl passes out? Again, think of 16 Candles, where a similar thing happens, right? And, yeah, she wakes up or whatever, but I don't know. Like, it was weird to me that at that moment up there on that lookout point, they created... A character with a little bit of empathy that, again, yeah. just got erased. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I, I wanted more of her. I wanted to see more of her. I wanted to see more of this journey with her. I wanted to see how she would interact with his friends and not piss drunk interacting with his friends. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. So, like, that, that's one, like, knock I guess I have against the movie if I'm going to overanalyze, which we do here on High School Slumber Party. But, Mike, you brought up the car. We forgot to mention that this is his grandfather's Cadillac, which is like the size of a boat, that that's what he's driving here. Oh, yeah, yeah. So his grandpa and his dad sort of swapped cars for the weekend. Grandpa's car is in their garage, safe and sound, while grandpa's on some trip or something. He didn't want to take his own car. And that. And so, he, yeah, he steals like this classic vintage, at the time, I guess it was even vintage car. Uh, and they're out and about uh, together in the town. Uh, real quick, though, about the Mercedes thing that you brought up, like... It never even really dawned on me that, um, yeah, she's just sort of, like, written out of the movie, but what a better movie it would have been if she, if it was if it was the two Corys and her, you know? And not that there would be, like, a love triangle or anything, but it would almost be, like, a Three's Company sort of, like, situation going on where it's like, Dino, I need your help, like, on my date or something, you know, like, they bring the car to Dean's to get it fixed, and they all meet, and they're hanging out in the garage, and there's no Charles, and uh, they all go to Archie's together, you know what I'm saying, and we spend way more time there, and, you know, we have more fun there, and we get to know each other more there, and then, you know, more hijinks can ensue at that point, you know, we could get on with the rest of the movie then, and it can sort of play out in the same sort of general direction, but, wow, what a... Yeah, what a good concept to, like, keep her around, see what happens when they all interact together, you know, because everyone would be freaking out that he's on a date with Mercedes, you know, (laughs) you know, when they run into his sister later, she'd be like, Les, is that Mercedes? Like, what? (laughs) Like, all the reactions would be classic. So, So typically I don't, you know, do that whole rental thing on every episode, right? So I'll bring up these two movies, and I wish the second half of this movie was more like these two movies. And one of them is uh, Adventures of Babysitting, which is a movie I really like. And in that one, there's there's kind of more of a goal. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they have to get home by a certain time. And I know he has got to get home by a certain time, but I wasn't really feeling that at moments. It was more like hijinks are ensuing here or there or whatever. So I wish um, with her involved that, you know, in Adventures of Babysitting, we get Elizabeth Shue, Keith Coogan, and... Why am I forgetting his name? The dude from Rent. Anthony Rapp, right? Like, they have, like, a kind of... And the little girl, but for, we'll put her aside. And they kind of have moments and little interplay together. And it's like, oh, you, you don't have a shot with her. Even though she's out with you, you don't have a shot with her. But I, I think you're right that we could have got the two Corys with Heather Graham having nice banter with each other. And more like, oh, we got to get home for this. We got to get home for that, right? Like, less than what we get here, which, again, is not bad like i said i actually like this movie but he ends up picking up his friends because they 
want to be picked up. And what's the other Corey's name? Dean. 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 Dean really, really wants to go to this kind of a drive-in restaurant called Archie's Atomic. Well, take a look, Les. What do you think? Excellent work, Dean. Thanks. I mean, this is spectacular. You saved me, man. Thanks. So, I guess we can uh, go to Archie's now? Look, Dino, pal, I promise you, next weekend, yeah, fine, okay, we can go to Archie's, but not tonight. Look, Mercedes doesn't have to be home for a couple hours. Les, let me explain something to you. Unless you're into some intense, kinky shit, and you never know after tonight, this Mercedes has a dead battery. Les, we're talking about Archie's Atomic here, Les. You can't get there without a license. It's in the middle of nowhere. No buses, no trains, no planes. Only the slickest, most intense driving machines you've ever seen in your life. I have the directions my brother gave me in my back pocket. You won't regret this. There's five girls for every guy. And we're not talking dogs. We're talking bunnies. And he's like, sure, let's do that. And... Definitely is uncool with Heather Graham's passed out body in the back seat when he's taking pictures of her <laughs> under her shirt and stuff like that. Most uncool thing probably about the movie besides all the drunk driving. Maybe it's on the same level. I don't know. But let me ask you, like, what did you think of this next chapter we get in the movie? Just hijinks with the friends. Right. So overall, like, I thought this movie was much longer than it is. Like, I remember the hijinks going on and on and on and on. And when I sat down to sort of think about the movie before I watched it as to, like, what I was going to expect, I break down, like, the little list. I try to remember sometimes, like, what's going on. And I was like, yeah, they get the Archies. There's a little bit of an incident on the way. They run into a uh, roadblock and then someone steals their car and then like the movie's over I was like wow like not a lot of like wackiness I mean it's good when it's there like Archie's is incredible it's like an oasis right like that's the idea of it it's heaven for Dean like it is American graffiti you know like it's every, but like the fashion of the gap I guess like, I don't know, like the way everyone <laughs> sort of dressed in pastels at the time and you know that was the the thing I guess yeah, I think that there's a lot of fun stuff here. We get to sort of meet their doppelgangers with the girls that they try to set up with. But I wish we spent a little more time here. And then getting to the sort of revelation that Les doesn't have his license feels a little clunky. And I like the sort of stagecoach, you know, rundown, got to get the guy out of my car sequence thing and stuff. But I, um, I guess I thought it came later than I remember you know what I'm saying like it just almost felt like we're here already wow I thought I thought we were going to be doing more stuff to be honest yeah yeah I mean and Archie's Atomic cool place and this is a place that's been in a ton of movies I'm sure you're aware of that it looks it looks like the place of the infant of the infamous gymnastics off from flying or honestly or I don't know if it <laughs> is American but dream. that's what that's what I thought of right like that's what it reminded me of I couldn't find that shout out to the hot dog thread yes hot dog thread we'll, we'll talk more about that later on this Corey lap for sure because we'll have a hot dogger on with us oh boy <laughs> So I looked it up, this place, so it's knocked down now, but it was originally called Johnny's Broiler, and it's just been used in so many things. Uh, For example, uh, Can't Hardly Wait, it's in at some point, apparently, which is a film that, you know, we've talked about. 
Matchstick Men. That that's a movie you've talked about. What's up, Cage? Yeah. Heat. Okay, Heat. Yes. Mission Impossible Two. All right. Some Tom Cruise. Jawbreaker, which is a movie we'll talk about at some point. Oh, crazy movie. What's Love Got to Do with It? The Tina Turner story. Oh. I mean, it is, but that new Tina Turner documentary, by the way, fire. Yeah, I gotta watch it. Because you know, it's it. anti-entity, by the way. Anti-entity. Yes. A lot of, lot of a uh, third time. Master Blaster. <laughs> <laughs> and again, a bunch of other stuff. So this is a very, very cool and famous location. And honestly, it looked fun. I get it. I get why a teenager would want to go there. So again, I'm not against it. But I just think there was like a better way to tie all these elements in. And then before we get into the, like the drunk driver thing that you mentioned, what's going on with like the sister and a protest? Oh, okay, and... okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Wait, real quick though. Real quick before we get into the sister protest thing, Dean gives like a remarkable speech. Right, like he, they, they sort of crash at this diner halfway the Archies, and Dean is like, I can't remember word for word, but it feels like patriotic, and then there's like the bugle music playing or whatever, the fife, the fife in the back, mm-hmm. and and he's like, you have a car, a license, a license yes. to drive, to drive wherever you want, and you want to go to Archies, and it's like so inspiring and stuff, and it's. And it's terrific, and I love it, and I, I just wanted to make sure that I got that in there real quick. Yes. Because you know what? That that shows Feldman is a good actor. Like, both Corey and Corey have crazy chemistry in this movie. I think they're great together, but I especially think, like, Corey Feldman is playing this role, I think, better than Corey Haim is playing his role. I don't think they could do each other's work here if they swapped, but I just really am into Dean as a character, as, like, a best friend, as, like, this ego sort of driving a devil on his shoulder sort of whispering in his ear at all times sort of thing i really like that kind of stuff i think the dynamic works so much better when they are playing these guys right like i don't know we can have burnt we can have bernie's is coming to mind oh yeah jonathan silverman is much more Corey haim and andrew mccarthy is much more Corey feldman right like not their exact personalities but like you have the yeah. The one who's like more worried about getting in trouble and the one who's like, let's just enjoy this. Yeah, you know? wants or, or tries to get in a little bit of trouble, you know? <laughs> and, and I think they, uh, they could be played more equal. They don't write the movies for them, but I almost want to say they should have, if that makes sense. You know, like they should have wrote more movies for them instead of them auditioning for stuff and kind of shoehorning the characters in. Yeah. I think that would have been cool. And that didn't didn't happen for whatever reason. OK, so the sister. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the sister protest thing. I do not. Uh, I do not understand it. I mean, I understand it, but I don't know. What's your so? Thoughts? So I come. I think there's two there's two things here. So I and since I listened and it was mentioned on the auto commentary this was based on the writer's actual sister who he called a communist on. He's like, growing up, this was definitely my sister. Like, she was always complaining about, like, our cars being gas guzzlers and people not having enough and all that kind of thing and, you know, going to protests and things. And protests weren't like they are today. Like, it wasn't really that common to, to hear about protests. Like, I remember PETA would always be protesting fur. Okay, and like people would always be protesting, you know, murdering whales um, and and things (laughs) like but like it wasn't like protesting like it is today, you know. And so this is more depicted like modern day protesting, which kind of jarred me where it's like they're protesting the sort of like covert 
transport of military grade weapons through their city at night like overnight so like this is some like hardcore like yeah like socialist terrorist topical kind of stuff like it's weird how it's here and portrayed in this movie as like why is this here like this is such a like hard truth like what is going on yeah yeah it's great honestly i really like that but then it didn't factor in the movie as much as I thought it would. And that, I think that was like it, my issue with it. It doesn't factor in at all, which is the most bizarre thing. Like his sister gets dragged away by the police. You see her like basically about to get handcuffed. And then at the end, she's there holding a copy of Tropic of Cancer or something. Like she's there like <laughs> when the babies are delivered. Like what happened to her? Carl definitely got his ass kicked. I guess she could have gone anywhere they just needed it to be a road block of some kind that and they get, they kind of kill two birds with one stone it's a roadblock and they bump into his sister i don't know if that was just sort of like they got there by writing the movie and arriving at that point or if that was some sort of like predestined joke that they were setting up they run into her but it's hardly a thing we don't get like our genie ferris moment like oh my god you no. know what i mean not at so all. I was just disappointed by it. And again, I, I I know I'm apologizing a lot, but I like this movie. I probably would not even be considering these things if we weren't talking about it for a podcast, right? right. Like, I would just have it on in the background and not care. But I'm caring because it's just... I'm noticing these things for the first time. I'm like, wow, that's kind of weird. We get a lot of teasing in the background, right? Like, they're building anticipation for what could be a showdown with the sister and the boyfriend. They're also building a more important anticipation for the parents waking up in the middle of the night and potentially catching him, right? But I thought there was a little bit of a misstep. I like what they're doing, but I almost wish they played this up a little bit more where I was actually actually reasonably super worried that he was going to get caught again, right? Like They have a lot of close moments, and it's great, and I think that... You know, I don't want to call it a misstep because I think they're doing it well. I would almost, and I love the sister, I would almost take out that sister thing. Um, maybe have her, they could run into her or something, but we don't have to keep, what do you call it? We don't have to keep cutting back to it. You know what I mean? We keep cutting back to the protest for no reason almost. Yeah. Like cut cut back to the parents a little bit more. Build some more anticipation. Mm-hmm. Build some more, you know, how about, again, I don't like to rewrite movies, but how about she gets arrested earlier in the movie? They bring her home. I know this is copying Ferris Bueller, but they kind of bring her home. The parents are a little upset with her, and she notices her brother's car is not in the garage. You know what I mean? Oh, mm-hmm. Like, something like that, where, like, we can tie these things in rather than weirdo. <laughs> yeah. We're seeing things we don't need to see, I yeah, guess. Well, I yeah. Uh, well, I kind of like doing this sometimes, even though it's not, like, maybe the the best thing to do but like let have her join the fucking party like the more the merrier well. like she gets in the car at that point to avoid being arrested and they drive off altogether and now they can't let her go because you know like she's gonna be his alibi at the end or whatever like or she's gonna make a call and call the parents and wake them up like you're not getting out of this car now sister like you're with us till the end of the road at this point and you know that would have been a lot of fun but the movie just keeps writing out the the women for some reason (laughs) or the girls they're not you know they're teenagers so the young women but like that's probably just you know again you got like two 20 something year old guys writing their ass off trying to do this movie the best they can and like 
admitting that they don't it it's at least they're not trying to fake what they don't know i appreciate kind of that kind of stuff about it they're like well i have no idea what she's gonna say that would be authentic so i'm just gonna not put it in <laughs> like there's something to be said that's like about that but um it might not surprise you that there are extensive reshoots there's about 15 minutes of alternate and deleted footage on the dvd which is mostly unwatchable like it was a whole other subplot where the actual car gets stolen and they're gonna steal an identical car from a car lot that you could actually see in the background of, a, of an existing shot the like drunk driver was the owner of the car lot like they re sort of like worked him as a different character uh less goes to like a biker bar where he runs into the punks again and they like beat the shit out of the new car that they stole like there's a lot of stuff that they really had to go back and fix and rework and change and everything and so after learning all that kind of stuff i i even have sort of more forgiveness for them for all of the sort of plot holes i guess as we're gonna put it yeah okay so i was gonna ask about that because in the trivia it said that the drunk driving scene was a reshoot i mean that makes a lot of sense i like it because like it's action-packed like it's what i want it's the it's the car chase you know what i'm saying it feels like what this was leading to you want to see less like perform you know like be a precise driver and everything and like he does that sort of like indiana jones shit where he jumps from like one car to another you know, and uh, I thought that it was a great idea and really well done. And it just sort of compacts the third act like really well by just relying on action like that. I like the idea of it. And coming from the scenes you talked about, I know why they did it. I just think if they had this idea early on, like, what if we saw this guy earlier at the DMV or something? You know what I mean? Like, right. I thought that would be clever. Like if he was like a really put together character earlier that we kind of knew and that when we see him here, he's drunk as a skunk and he takes the car. Like, he felt so random to me at this point. Yeah. I think it's a well-executed scene. I just wish it connected more with the overall rest of the film. But, I mean, you've explained to me why it doesn't. <laughs> and I feel you, too. And I guess at the time, you know, as, like, a little kid, you don't really think of that stuff. You just sort of, like, go with it scene to scene. If You, you don't really know if you notice, like, issues in filmmaking, per se, when you're a youngster like that or anything. But, like, looking at it now, he's in one of those road crash movies they show in school you know like he is in he is living it now you know so like i thought that was like really smart and clever and like sure the guy kind of comes out of no i think they gave him a, a little too much personality for like a brand new character if he sort of was less operatic i'll say because the guy is going bigger than anyone else in the movie with his drunk. <laughs> like no one else in the movie is acting like this he's in a totally different movie but you know they're at a random traffic stop you know they're at a drunk driving sort of like traffic thing so it like thematically i like how it plays in you're thinking about the sort of dangers or cautions of driving and you know you know that you're going to get pulled over and breathalyzer or whatever that kind of thing check for your license and it's the scene where we learn he doesn't have his license and there's like all that kind of stuff going on too so i thought like it was well condensed you know, learning after the fact. But at the time, I didn't really notice any problems with it either. Yeah, and that and that's, I think, the moral of our story today, right? Like, I think if you're just watching this movie, uh, you know, you're just watching it. You don't really care. And it's not that kind of movie where you're overanalyzing. Whereas, like, Dream a Little Dream, I can't help but do that 
from my end because it's you know there's like science involved and and uh <laughs> i don't know just dream theory and things like that this is just pure like fun and hijinks ensue you know like <laughs> so at the end of the day these sins that i'm talking about they don't really bother me that much i just we're podcasting we kind of just have to point them out right the one thing after this is you know they make it home they the car is completely in super crappy shape i do like how they do this where like the mom is pregnant she felt real because she kept saying no 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 i'm not gonna give birth yes i am no i'm not that felt real because she's given birth so many times that she's not necessarily guessing she's like I could stand a little bit, you know, I can go a little bit later. She's not panicking. And that's what I love to see, right? Until the end, until when she she realizes that, like, oh, nope, it's time to go to the hospital or whatever. But there's that cool shot where the dad is about to look yes. at, at at the car in the driveway and not see it. And then he, he doesn't, and then he and then the car's there. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it kind of, like, rolls in while, when he's not looking at it. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that. But... <laughs> I don't know how Les thought he was going to get away with this, though. The car was in, like, pristine shape. It's <laughs> a wreck. And, again, the dad blows up, and I, I love oh, it. Oh, that is one of the best, like, he loses it, man. Like, that is such a great freakout speech. Like, it kind of reminded me of Cage at some point, when Cage would have his freakouts and stuff. But, like, yeah, he's <laughs> going down the list. I love when he's like, you had sunlight, and a window. It's all gone, you know? He's like, he's like, you had, you had a skateboard. Uh, what else did you, he's like, you had, you had water, no more. It's like, you got, he's like, you, we are reducing you to nothing. So great. Like the dad, again, doing such a good, like, just, I mean, I it felt, I was feeling Homer Simpson. Like, I mean, I know we keep, I keep bringing up the Simpsons and stuff, but like, it's so there in that performance before that character was even a character that like, I don't know. I just have to wonder, like, it, it's just so, so much fun. The whole situation. And then when the mom is like, you know, you got to let him drive and the dad just like, okay, it, it's just such a, such a barrage for the father. I keep thinking like these things are hitting him one after the other. Like first he's like angry at, at last. Then he has to sort of like, you know, calm down enough to let him to drive. And then when they're at the red light, he's like, what are you doing? Go through the red light, man. Like, what's your problem? And he's like, dad, I can't go through the red light. And he's like, it's an emergency. And then by the end of like the whole like craziness, he's like, don't worry about it. Like everything's cool, son. Like, you know, like man was put through the ringer. Yeah. And I wish, honestly, I like the dad. Once they get to the hospital, you're right. He kind of absolves him of things. I no, he's happy they're going to have another kid for some reason. Uh, I still wish he was like, don't worry, you're still grounded or something along those lines, mm, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he did put on like an incredibly, you know, technical feat with that backwards driving stuff. Like, uh, you crazy? There isn't a car in sight. We're rushing your mother to the hospital, not to a bridge game. Come on, go through it. Go through it. <laughs> What are you doing? Come on! They're not pushing the gas down. It ain't moving. I don't know. It sounds like the transmission. Try another gear. Come on! Mom? Try low! Don't worry. I'm just having a baby! What was that? Reverse works, Dad. Honey? Let him drive backwards. Let him drive sideways. I don't care. Just get me there. 
behind the scenes it. though like that wasn't that was a reversed like wheel i think they said like the guy was actually driving it the car was oh, sort wow. of fixed backwards you know what i'm saying okay. like he was okay. actually cool. driving it like a normal car it just looked like the car was like put together backwards or something like that i think they said it's not all real reverse driving but it doesn't matter because like if you know even if you know it the effect is incredible you know not all of like baby driver was like you know, like real. There's a lot of cuts and digital things going on there. What happened with the mother's car? They lost it at the protest? They see it get impounded. It, okay, it got impounded. Did they make this whole protesting just so that, so I would be like, hey, where's the other car? Maybe. Well, <laughs> you know it's, a, I mean? it's kind of like a good way to get rid of a lot of stuff in like, you know, one or two hits. You know, you get rid of the sister, the car, like she can't get back home. She gets arrested. So like she never gets back before Les does to warn the parents. They don't have the other car to drive because it got impounded, so they have to take this, you know, the caddy that's now a wreck. It's kind of interesting. I mean, it's too bad, though, that the sister is not there for, like, the whole crazy family bonding. You remember the time that Les drove your mother backwards to the hospital and she's sitting there like, I was in prison. Like, I was sitting (laughs) in the tank. I wasn't there. (laughs) Yeah. Again, I I like the sister character, but like I said, I think the dad, when I say, oh, you're still grounded, like, he says it with a smile. You know, that's what I would prefer. Like, I hear you. Like, thank you for getting us to the hospital. I appreciate it, that that whole thing. And, like, he's nice about it, but he's like, eh, but don't think you're getting a car anytime soon or anything like that, you know? So, yes, whatever. Yes. All's well that ends well. The, the white suburban boy gets away with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fantasy, you know? If you didn't think so before, now you know for sure, definitely. Um... <laughs> We should talk about Mercedes, right? Like she's yeah, she's she's back. Uh, she drives up with her cabrio convertible. That would have been nice to know that she had the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, if they only had like gone to her house to drop her off or something, I don't know. Like, <laughs> it is kind of funny that it seemed we didn't mention like early morning, must be like five a.m. or something like that, where he does drop off Mercedes and like she's awake yeah. and all that kind of stuff, and she's like, "Sorry, it was such a goof." Yeah, (laughs) I kept having the weirdest dream. I was locked in a trunk and like some crazy shit. Someone was taking pictures of me down my skirt or whatever. Like I was like, that dream is pretty realistic. The car is right there. That that's not that crazy. That really happened. (laughs) It was not a good night for you. Why didn't he just say that too? Where he was like. I'll, I'll tell you someday if I'm alive. And she's like, what are you talking about? He's like, it's not important. It's like, yes, it is. <laughs> oh, well, our whole relationship's going to be predicated on lying to me. <laughs> oh, boy. But, yeah, she's saving herself for him. That's what she said, essentially. <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> you saw Paolo. No comment. No comment. Oh, man. Oh, man. So... I thought it was the ending. This movie is like one of those movies that has like a couple endings, but well, Grandpa... Brian, it was it. W- they wanted it to end on the freeze frame, believe it or not, but it didn't oh. test well, so they tacked this on, which was very smart because it comes full circle in a very nice way that you would have thought was planned, but totally wasn't. So Grandpa returns for his caddy. First he's angry, then he laughs. It's like I ruined your car, Dad, too, and they all laugh. ha ha ha. We're so rich, we can buy <laughs> new cars, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> Okay, so what the hell do you think this dad does for a living? 
I think I he's, he's probably a lawyer, right? He's got to be like an entertainment lawyer or something like that. Like, what? he's picking his kid up from school in the middle of a Friday afternoon. I mean, I don't know. Like, he's having eight kids. That checks out, but like, I, f- I don't know. I feel like he would talk more. About- oh, I guess he doesn't have to talk about the law to be a lawyer. He probably doesn't bring his work. It doesn't talk about work at all. There's not one mention of it because Les could give a shit, you know? when He doesn't care where the money comes from as long as it keeps coming. (laughs) He's about to buy his son a BMW. Yeah, yeah. That's a good call. I mean, the dad, he's awesome, so I don't want to, like, criticize him too much. Oh, no, I I think he's a great sort of role model for dads, you know what I mean? Like, I think his behavior is very true. And, you know, sure, like, like he overreacts once or twice, maybe. But look at the, like, look at how down he has, like, the pregnancy routine. He's got his pants on like a firefighter, I think, at times. So, like, he just has to, like, pull them up over his ankles. Like, he literally, like, sleeps with them on, on, like, around his ankles or something. Like, he's just so automatic, right? Like, anytime... Carol Kane's like, Robert, he's just like, huh? And he gets up and it's like instantly he's like in the kitchen or like he's working the thermostat or like, you know, he's just he's just on autopilot. Did your dad sleep in pajamas? I know it's a weird question, but like, I think so. I think, you know, when I was a kid, I think, yeah, I think when it was like more in fashion i think it kind of fell out of it just sort of became sweat gear at some point you, you know right because like every 80s movies i i see like the mom and dad like sleeping like full pajamas you know like and i don't know i feel like i missed out on like oh that's what i'm a dad yeah. <laughs> i don't know if i'm gonna sleep in full pajamas you know i don't know yeah i don't know especially if you know that you might be running to the hospital like any minute you would just put on like a pair of jeans or slacks that are comfortable <laughs> oh yeah you know they've done this so many times you think they'd be more prepared <laughs> but it, that, that's what i'd say like he is but he isn't like he's still got that edge of like he's a he's a comic relief sort of like character dad but like he's still like in the in like the motions of doing all the right stuff you know what i mean like <laughs> it's not like carol kane's having trouble getting him awake or he's not invested in the kids on the way or anything in fact there's that one point where they're like painting the nurse not painting the nursery but they're like making up um like the bassinet and everything i was like wow they're really going with this angle of like kids on the way selling it (laughs) i like that though again like i said the parents are one of the highlights here in so many of these teen movies we see these just like vanilla parents without personality like these were actually well fleshed out characters i'm not expecting them to flesh out all the kids but at least the sister was fleshed out and the parents were as well Agreed. Anything else you want to mention in License to Drive? Let's see if I had anything in my notes. Oh, there was there was a couple of lines I liked. Les says, this is about Mercedes. I've bumped into her a hundred times. She's never bumped into me ever or something along those lines. I wrote it fast. I like that line. You know what I mean? Like she just, it's, yeah. it's, it's better than saying that we see in so many movies, she doesn't even know I exist. You know what I mean? <laughs> An innocent girl. A harmless drive. What could possibly go wrong? Yes, yes, that line, I wrote that down. <laughs> um, hey, boys, mama hold your dick for you when you take a piss? Like That's oh, a pretty God. good line. Um, Wes, or uh, Les, my parents are vampires, which I Lost always... Boys. Lost Boys, yes, but when I was a kid, I thought, like, so wait, so you won't wake them up? And it's like, no, they're up all night. Like, they're not, they don't sleep. Like, they're <laughs> vampires, you know? So I, I always yeah. sort of misgot that that line. You know, it's a good one. 
Um, there's a lot of good. We just got passed by a street sweeper. Um, yes, yes. That's a great line. Uh, a lot of Sinatra um, in here with the tapes, you know. Yes, I love when you good. see in the glove box his grandfather's like tape collection. I thought that was cool. By the way, at the when they're at that lookout point and <laughs> she's like, my dad used to take me here, blah, blah, blah. You know, I was like, oh, I guess that's what you said was rewritten a bit. She, she was like, he brought me up here to see how beautiful the world could be if you could just step away for a moment. And I've seen really pretty shots from those like Hollywood Hills of LA yeah, or whatever. Yeah. That wasn't one of them. That was no. Like, <laughs> they cut to it. It's just like an industrial part of the city or something. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. That. Yeah. Again, reminded me of Springfield, where like I think the joke on The Simpsons is like their lookout is like, yeah, you see the power plant, you see the tire fire, you know, you see like the penitentiary. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I have anything else from this movie per se, but I had one more bit of real life trivia that relates to driving that might blow your mind you might have known this i might have told you this before and you know and just sort of like forgot or it's in the back of your mind but for 32 years at ridgewood high where i went to high school and during from 19 from 1974 to 2001 so i was there during this time he was not my driver's ed teacher however carl albano brother of Captain Lou Albano. Oh, yes. Taught driver's ed at my high school. <laughs> so a little bit kayfabe yes. action right there for you. Captain Lou Albano, one of the great uh, wrestling personalities of all time. He said his brother taught there. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So he taught like a bunch of the sort of um, the health and I think some sciences and stuff like that. So he was teaching like health ed, um, like driver's ed and wellness and things like that and some other things here and there. So, yeah, you'd see him around all the time. You know, I always, you know, saw him everywhere. He was a teacher there. It's crazy. Captain Lou Albano in this area, I know, I think Larson showed me, too, that, like, he used to do a lot of local commercials. Uh, oh, very yes. popular in this in this area that we grew up in for a time. So that's yeah. cool to hear. Speaking of uh, a sort of another connection, a Corey connection, maybe, a connection was at one point, managing or at least pretending to manage Cindy Lauper during the time that the Goonies came out and the music video he appeared in appears in the film The Goonies starring uh, or co-starring Corey Feldman. Oh so. yeah, you're right, you're right. <laughs> it's a lot of that good enough for you, it's good enough for you. Anyway, they're at WrestleMania 1 together, all that crazy crap. I know uh, Tito Santana was a Spanish teacher. <laughs> Is he really? Yeah, yeah, which is crazy. I think somewhat locally, too. So, yeah. <laughs> We've gone off on a wrestling tangent, but it was worth it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. George Steele, George the Animal Steele was a, was like a, a, like an acting professor or something, from what I understand. Or, you know, like, that was all a character. And, like, you talk to him, it'd be as if, like, you know, he goes from being the Hulk to the smart Hulk, you know, Professor Hulk, <laughs> kind of like. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Let's get to our questions, of course. All right. Who was this movie made for, Mike? All right. So definitely, you know, the girls in love with the Corys, the, you know, the ones buying the Team Beat. Like, it seems sort of like partially on one end of the spectrum, like made for them, you know. And then on the other end, the teenage boys, the ones that are into the cars, crazy. Into, not that there aren't any car girls out there either. Like, I'm sure there is. But like that side of it as well, I think, like the less and the Dean in the crowd that are out there watching this movie and things live in the fantasy. 
So, yeah, I think this is definitely, like, aimed squarely at the teenagers at the time for the most, you know, it's PG-13, so I'd say, like, right in that zone. I was probably a little young to watch it, but I was allowed to watch whatever I wanted. So, like, that didn't matter, didn't, you know, that doesn't line up as much. But, yeah, I would say, you know, this is a very teen-centric film. Most likely to succeed, who won the movie? Oh, well, um... Richard Mazur? <laughs> Gotta give it to Homer he Simpson. You don't think he won it? the movie. I mean, I mm. think we might nominate him for other things. Okay, 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 okay. His that... car was destroyed. His father's car was destroyed. Oh, he has another okay. kid he has to pay for, you know what I mean? Like, Okay, so what character won the movie? I thought you meant, like, in regards to, like, the actor. Oh, no, no, no. Or... Yeah, sorry, sorry. Which character would get our most likely to succeed? Going forward, who, who set up best going forward? Mm, probably less, right? I think it's less. Less is going to go on to marry Mercedes and they're going to have a bunch of cars together and live happily ever after. I don't see how it can't be less because he got away with so much and he he got the girl. He's probably going to get a car because his father's super rich. So yeah, I'm with you. It's less. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we talked about this one for sure. Wooderson Award. Is there a character here you would have liked to see more of? I mean, we we talked about at length how, like, you know, Mercedes, they should have just brought her to Dean's to fix the car and get some coffee in her and sober her up. And then she's ready to keep going. Like, oh, these are your friends? Like, this would be cool. Like, let's all hang out and go somewhere. And Les will be freaking out, like, multiple reasons because, like, he has to, like, press Mercedes in front of his friends and, and worry about the car. Like, yeah, that would have kicked a lot of ass. And then later on, even picking up his sister. But certainly bringing it to my attention like heather graham needed to be in this entire movie and she's great like she's so like on point like her timing is awesome there's that one moment it's very telling very telling moment where uh we talked about how like les's dad let him take the car to pick her up to drive her down the street to bring her to her house or whatever she's walking down the block alone sort of like clutching her books and les starts honking going like mercedes mercedes and she like she like jumps at first as if like danger, 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 you know, and then yeah. sees it's less and is like, oh, thank God. It's just this punk kid. Like he's totally harmless. Thank goodness. I was like, wow. Like, I don't know if she's drawing from experience, but of, of just being a female. But like that was something I was not expecting of the level of like a first time actor or anything on screen. And she's just got a lot of great little like, you know, looks and nuance. And she's not afraid of like smudging her face up against the window to look silly and stupid. Uh, so, yeah, she was great. Mike, we don't need a BMW. We already have a Mercedes. You know how you said when you got your license you wanted a BMW? Well, here you go. It's all yours. Take good care of it. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. It's uh, very generous of you, but, you know, I don't need the BMW anymore. Les! I already have a Mercedes. God, did you ever think you'd see a day where a Mercedes would fit in the trunk of a Cadillac? Oh, God. <laughs> but, yeah, Mercedes would be my pick as well. Close second would be the sister, though, because I really did like her. But, yeah, I think Mercedes takes it. Interesting question here. Long Duck Dong Award. Is there a character whose omission would make the film better? Well, let, let's hmm. go to the origins of this award. Mm-hmm, Is there mm-hmm, any mm-hmm. racially or genderly insensitive character in well, this film? Well, 
I mean, it depends how much you care about commies. Like, <laughs> you <could> say, <laughs> yeah, like I guess Carl. Carl is kind. I mean, I don't know if you don't really call that racist, right? But it's a very sort of like classist. That's classist. Or a bigoted sort of view, right? Of for sure. But like, I liked Carl enough where even though they're making fun of him, I'm like, you know what? You know what, Carl? You got some good points. Well, that's the thing is. Carl's not the problem. It's the Andersons, you know. That's it. Like Carl's yeah. making the good points, and Mrs. Anderson is like, "Shut up, Carl." <laughs> I don't want to yeah, hear this. So it's not Carl to me. I think we got to go with kind of the newer definition of this: of who would you okay. just delete from the movie? Okay, okay. I mean, yeah, uh, Charles. Like, get him out Charles, of there. Like, yeah. what's he doing here, man? I mean, we don't need more reminders of how cool like Corey and Corey are. You know, they don't have to be hanging around with this square. <laughs> like, when he shows up to the party and he's like, hey, guys, I thought he was just like a random person they knew. I didn't know he was going to tag along the entire film. <laughs> I mean, they make off like, you know, act like you don't know him and all that kind of thing. And I didn't think he would be around the whole movie, but like, I didn't think that he was just some rando. You know, I just figured like they got stuck with him at the party. But I yeah, thought he was like, just in their larger group of friends. I didn't think it was like a trio because you have two Corys in him. That's the thing. There is no larger group. They're like outcasts or something like that. It's just <laughs> them, which would make the whole like Mercedes joining their little clique like even cooler. You know, they'd start running around like a group of Stranger Things or, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> let's hit the mall or something. Yeah. Cameron Fry Award. Did anyone look too old to be a high schooler? I don't think so. I mean, we know Paulo's not in high school, so we got to nix him. If Heather Graham's a senior, she's fine. Is she? Is Mercedes a senior? I don't think Les uh, is. Les is a well, junior, he, I think. He has... They, supposedly he's 16, Les. Okay. She has her license, so she must yeah. be older. So, I, yeah, I think it's fine. We Lately, yeah. like, th- this year, 2021, has been filled with, like, yeah, I don't really see that, in, you know? It's funny. But we'll get to movies where we do see that for sure. Especially, I think even in the Corey oeuvre, it's probably going to be a Corey at one point. You know? <laughs> now, Mike, I think this is going to surprise you if you didn't look this up already. Okay. Every week we grade the movie, and I hand you that Manila, the Manila-looking card that has right. the, the classes or, or the movie, if you will. And there's that... There's that portion that says license to drive, and there's a little box, and, and you got to give that A plus to F. So I got to get the F little grade. number two pencil on the Scantron sheet. <laughs> However, every week I do give a little bit of a, you know, uh, I don't want to call it a cheat sheet, if you will, but kind of like where I just, I let okay. the guests know what the universe thought of this yes. film before yeah. grading, right? So the first thing we always look at is Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes critical score, 17%. No, bull crap. 17%. Dream a Little Dream got zero, which was crazy. Even though I wasn't the biggest fan, I even acknowledge that that's crazy. But this feels like an easy winner. I'm not saying 99 here, but 17? I can understand if you're watching this movie and you have problems that Heather Graham spends most of it in a trunk. I get that, okay? Like, it's not great, all right? But that's not the movie. The movie is a crazy car adventure fantasy thing, you know? And, like, 
it's uh, oh man, it, it's not like that one Keanu movie. He did a movie called The Night Before, where his prom date was sold into prostitution for fuck's sake. Like you know, like Whoa. it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, that's the one with Aunt Becky. It's like Keanu and Aunt Becky go out to the prom, make a wrong turn, end up in like you know the city, um, and like he wakes up like a couple hours later, and she's been like kidnapped or something i've never revisited it since we watched it way back for keanu club like episode five or something and like look i get it okay but that's not this this movie is crazy car action fun time like silly boys you know on their silly boy adventure you know and i think a a scene that wraps it up like perfectly is when they're driving away from archie's and Corey Feldman's in the back and he's like come back archie's no no it's like his cartman moment he's like man my archie's like these are just boys like juvenile just boneheads okay there's not really a bad like bone or thought in their body you know what i'm saying like they're not out for that kind of fun like they're just out for fun for like wholesome fun kind of stuff so like i i'm just fired up because that makes me upset because i know the critics are probably just harping on certain parts of this movie and they can't just like take it at face value sometimes but mike that really wasn't what the criticism was believe it or not well fuck me what do i know (laughs) i know you would think but like you're just trying to make intelligent yes people were like oh it was boring or it fell flat, and I'm like, come on! Like, this is not. They what said that movie it was, was boring. Be. This movie is yeah. not boring. This movie is funny as fuck. Like, it's it's an hour and a half. So much shit it happens that like I thought coming in it was a two hour movie again. You know, like every time I'm like, I can't believe it's almost over. No, I mean that's sorry. I get fired up, but <laughs> that makes well, me mad. S- 61% by the audience, which is a okay, lot higher. That's better. Still not I great, but, but it make, that makes more sense, right? That makes more sense. 2.9 on Letterboxd out of 5, which not great, but I didn't expect this to be great with the Letterboxd crowd. I think there's a bias. I don't. I just think people don't like the Corys. I think that's a big part of it. I think they just look at them and, and just like something about how maybe like they appeared to be manufactured commodities of a bigger system or whatever is going through their heads at the time. Like, I don't know what could have, you know, but like, I have a feeling there's just like, Oh, if they weren't in this movie, like it would be fine or something. Whereas I'm like, they kind of like help make the movie. Like not only is it a cool car film, it's like a fun Corey movie. I think you're right about that because I don't know. Like you said, there's a bias against these things. Like, yeah, snobs, look at the bias. Again. Look, look at the Ben Affleck bias. For, you know, like snobs. Homeboy can't even just have a drink with J Lo one day, and it's like the world's ending again. <laughs> all of a sudden, don't worry, folks. They're not going to make another Jiggly. <laughs> all right. It would be cool if she appears as Catwoman, though. I'll tell you that much. I could see J Lo <laughs> being Ben Affleck's Catwoman. Anyway. Well, Mike, you get to write this wrong, and you get to grade. License to Drive on that A plus to F scale. So what grade are you going to give it? Well, it definitely didn't fail. <laughs> the Lord giveth and the DMV taketh away. <laughs> yeah, you is, don't, is don't want to. You don't fuck with the Department of Motor Vehicles. <laughs> is License to Drive getting its own driver's license? What do you say? Yeah. Oh, it's a total pass. I just, you know, I can't give it the A I want because of my personal, like, love interest with it Um, (laughs) like it's got problems and you know plot holes and i could see how people will just sort of like 
you know, it might not keep their interest or attention or whatever like that, but it's got great action stunts and fun car stuff going on in it. And I think like, you know, not just the reverse driving thing, but like the whole tracking down the drunk driving chase is awesome as well. Like there's a lot of cool, fun stuff going on in here, aside from just like the story that I think is enjoyable. B plus. B plus. I gave it a B plus as well. You know, talking about it, though, I kind of wanted to go down to a B. But All right. I'll, I'll be nice. I'll be nice. I'll say B+. Plus. It's definitely a B movie, not B movie. Not a B yeah. movie, but a, not Seinfeld's B movie either. <laughs> no, no, no. Just a B-level film. This is a fun film you put on, you just watch, you have a good time, you don't overanalyze it like I did. It's certainly not 17%, though. So B+, plus B, I think it's in that range for sure. License to drive sleep, sleeping bag. What does it look like? Oh, yeah, okay. Um, I guess it's, like, all red, and it's got the Ferrari logo on it, and, uh, you know, maybe, like, a spoiler somewhere attached somehow. So, yeah, keeping with the red sports car, hot car theme kind of thing. Yeah, that that's a good one. That's a good one. You know what I'm picking? I know it's an easy way out. I love the poster to this movie. I love the poster. Okay. Um, just the two of them staring at each other with like Heather Graham in the car in the middle of it. it says license to drive in a cool 80s font. That's my sleeping bag. Just those graphics. <laughs> I thought you were going to, I thought for some reason you were talking about the opening credits and you were going with like a stop sign or oh, like a no. yield signal or something. I thought, Mike, you were not going to go with the sleeping bag. I thought you were just going to go with the trunk of a Cadillac. Hey, clever, <laughs> clever, clever. <laughs> All right. My favorite question every week. And we are challenging you. Oh I don't boy. know if you're going to have oh ones for both Corys this time, but I'm not going to put that pressure yeah. on you. Yeah, <laughs> not quite. We are in the magical, magical Corey-themed blockbuster that has every film that has ever existed in the history of time. License to Drive is on the menu, on the docket for this slumber party. What two other movies are we watching tonight? All right, so, like, I totally <laughs> dropped the ball again, and I remember yesterday going, like, I really got to look up some movies to, to mention tomorrow night. And I got halfway through this episode and realized I never did that. <laughs> uh, so so excuse me if, like, uh, I had to look these up while we were recording <laughs> or anything like that. But I wanted to go with car films. There's just so many car films, and, you know, I... I mentioned like the Ron Howard, the two Ron Howard movies. And Ron Howard actually made um, another car movie later. He made Rush, I believe. Which true, was true, pretty, yeah. Yeah, that was good with uh, Baron Zemo and Thor. Hey, that one. I just covered a uh, car, a Ron Howard car movie on Too Fast, Too Forever. Oh, Gung Ho? Gung Ho, Gung Ho. Wow, okay. So he's got a couple car films. But I mentioned car his... Guy. I mentioned his car movies that he made for Roger Corman. Like, you should definitely check those out for sure. But uh, those are what I came up with at the end of the night here. Maybe you could say I did a Corey and a Corey. One's definitely one of my favorite fun car movies, and one is one of my favorite sort of more serious, dramatic car movies, I guess I'd say. You know, so like two different sides of the coin. Okay, so up first, actually, it's kind of funny. Cannonball Run 2. So, like, not the first one, which is good. It's good on its own, but I grew up more with Cannonball Run 2 for some reason. I love them both. It's really kind of hard to choose, but, like, since, like, it's one of the first car kind of things, I remember I have to go with the second one. There's also a great scene in that where 
Burt Reynolds character lands a biplane on sort of like a like a highway and uh, Dom DeLuise jumps out and goes and buys a six pack of beer and gets back in the plane. They turn around and, and fly away again. That whole series is phenomenal. But like, you know, you don't really even have to watch them in order. I, I think Cannonball Run 2 is going to be the first one. They never I don't think they ever made a three. Not sure. Same, same goes with like same. same goes with like Smokey and the Bandit. I don't even think they made a three. My other movie is uh, just like I love this movie. It's really cool. It's a Monty Hellman film. It's got James Taylor, Warren Oates. It's called Tulane Blacktop. Interesting. And it's basically about a drag racer and his mechanic as they sort of go from one town to another and encounter sort of like competition maybe or like other drivers and they pick up this chick and they all hang out together and it just kind of like meanders a bit but it's really interesting like i like it a lot james taylor has really long hair in it like you mean james taylor like the musician the musician yeah the musician james warren oates who is just fantastic in everything he's ever been in see laurie bird and dennis wilson round out the cast there on that one so dennis wilson like the Beach Boy Dennis Wilson? I'm pretty sure it's Dennis Wilson. Yeah. I just uh, yeah, yeah, the Beach Boy Dennis Wilson. Yeah, he's terrific in it, actually. It's a really great, quiet kind of car film, I guess. Um, hey, Harry Dean Stanton's in that one, apparently. Hey, he shows up, too. So it's on the Criterion. It's a Criterion cut. You can check it out if you have that. Yeah, but Cannonball Run 2. I don't know why that one <laughs> sticks out further in my mind than the they're both they're pretty much the same movie i think the one i think the first one's with roger moore though i don't know if he shows up in the second one i think the second one's with jackie chan i'm not i can't they kind of blend together but yeah i know that dean martin and sammy davis jr are in are in the second one i think they're in both actually i think sinatra shows up at one point it's yeah those movies are insane well, Mike, when you mentioned Cannibal Run 2 and what happens in it, you reminded me of, of something I totally forgot to talk about uh, in regards to License to Drive. So, Corey Feldman, and unfortunately Corey Haim for one of them, as you know, in this late career, I don't want to call it a renaissance, that's not what it is, but in his later career, has tried to remake some of his greatest hits. He's done, like, a couple Lost Boys now. Yeah. With, um, and, and even, like I said, one with Corey Haim. So before Corey Haim died, they had plans to do two sequels to License to Drive, like in their adulthood. Two License to Drive, and then License to Drive 3 Tokyo Drift, like, I'm assuming? I mean, <laughs> not those, but Mike, we actually got titles from Corey Feldman himself. He, he has revealed what the titles were going to be. Oh, hit me, uh, hit me. Are you ready for them? I'm the never going to be ready. I will never be ready for this, so just say them. The second one is License to Fly. No. That was going to be their second one. No, I I already feel since the the next one is License to Boat or whatever. <laughs> you're you're close on the third one. You're close on the third one. The third one, and this is, you know, a special place in your heart, was going to be License to Dive. Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> That would never happen. License to dive? That's not even a vehicle. What, a submarine? I'm assuming they were like, like, license to boat didn't sound as good, but that's probably what they meant. I'll give them license to fly. You throw Travolta in there as the instructor, you know, because he's known for flying and stuff, and 
he was probably getting ready to read the script to look who's talking around that time. Uh, you know, he needed a job. No, no, I'm these saying. were supposed to these were supposed to come out like a couple years ago, like right. Oh, now. oh, these weren't a direct sequel ideas. These were like we're no, gonna get the, the band back together like twenty years later and do a sequel. Yes, the Feldman Lost Boys <laughs> sequel level. Like, it's like you know DVD what, Les? Like. It's like I'm tired. We've been driving for twenty years. I want to do something <laughs> else. Let's fly for once. Yeah, but Dino, man, I can't afford to, like, you know, buy a ticket every time I want to fly somewhere. Nah, Les, like, we learn to fly. We'll fly our own planes. Oh, Dino, I got to ask Mercedes, man. Like, I don't know about this. And Robin Lively (laughs) plays Mercedes. No kidding. And my sister just got arrested at the Black Lives Matter protest, man. Like, what am I going to do? And then one more, one more factoid that I forgot. There's, they've bandied about doing a uh, gender swap reboot of the film, which mm. I don't know. I would just honestly reboot it. I wouldn't care so much about the gender swap thing. I'm not saying, oh, this, this movie doesn't feel gendered. You know what I mean? Like, you could do a girl and a guy, right. too. I don't really care. Like, it's not like, oh, shit. You know what I mean? What are the yeah. girls got up their sleeves? Like, that's, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I would Wait, much rather you know what I would rather have is like the parallel movie like the Mercedes movie like just fill in those blanks like don't make it like make most of the movie um, like leading up to the party with Paulo like they run into Les and she does the whole thing about making the fake date that might be real and then we follow her home with Paolo that you know what I'm saying like show that side of the of the story and everything like I want that the what's running congruent I don't want them to remake it I want them to show us like her side of the deal that's fair I'll, I'll go with that <laughs> well I'm glad you brought up uh, an airplane Mike in your cannibal to you know a little background there because it reminded me of that i would have been very upset if i had not mentioned these sequels to you so <laughs> <laughs> license to dive i mean dude <laughs> like come on we gotta come up with something better than that even if it doesn't rhyme you know like <laughs> license to dive license anyway. to, just just license to ride man like license to ride at that point like i don't know I don't know. That's your homework. Think about other license to franchise movies. But I say homework, Michael, because we have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of queries oh to do oh boy, in oh the boy. next couple of weeks. So we'll discuss that. But thanks so much. And uh, anything you want to plug or say? Oh, or... right. Yeah, yeah. If I may, real quick, Cage Club Prime, you know, Joey and myself doing the Cage deal. Um, Cage had two things come out, I guess. What do we call it? He had the Netflix uh, History of Curse Word show that he hosted, which was cool. And then Willy's Wonderland, which is out on Blu-ray. So we've, we've done episodes on that. Check out my show, Third Time's a Charm, where I check out the third whatever in a franchise movie. Usually, sometimes we veered off WrestleMania 3. That was a lot of fun. Good episode we did there. Uh, so every third of the month, you could hear me talking about a movie with a three at the end of it. Brian is my unofficial co-host over there on a bunch of episodes. And then The Monsters That Made Us. Uh, we mentioned earlier, uh, my co-host Dan Colon, the invisible Dan Colon, and myself, Monster Mike Manzi. The last Friday of every month, Dan and I are looking at the 31 original Universal Monster movies. And it's been great. And let's see. Um, last episode was Werewolf of London. Next episode, Dracula's Daughter. So... 
check out that movie. Check out those episodes, cageclub.me. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Brian. See you soon. The amount of hours that Mike and I are going to have recorded about the two Corys is astonishing. It's an amazement. And we're only getting through half of it this year. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Big thanks to Mike Manzi, as always. He'll be on our next episode, of course, and that's this Friday. We're talking another Cory movie, but we're going to have a guest on as well, our first guest in this Cory series, and that's Austin Wolf Southern. Love him, cats and brats and all that jazz. But of course, we're going to talk a weird one because that's what we do with Austin. The film is called Double O Kid. Lance Elliott always dreamt of becoming a secret agent. Eagle Dawn escapes from interrogation center, headed for mission headquarters. Then, one day, his dream came true. Get some coffees. Sure. Mine is straight fun. Of course it is. Now he's out to prove he's number one. He thinks he's the next James Bond. The kid's living in a dream world. Something strange about this kid. It's classified information. I'm gonna have to kill you. Secret agent in training. He wasn't looking for trouble. Hello? But he found it anyway. Lance Elliott, he's 17 years old, male, Caucasian, 231 Pilots Road, Philadelphia. When he stumbled upon a computer virus. The excitement is about to begin. Wow. Now he's on the run and about to become a target. Him, shoot him on sight. No FBI, no local cops. And don't let his age deceive you. Get some pro. As reality takes over fantasy. The scientific committee is presently engaged in a world tour. The consortium would like the scientists to disappear unexplainably in the Bermuda Triangle. We have designed a virus to intercept the flying controls and cause the plane to crash. Did they just give us the virus? In a game of life and death. This is the part I enjoy. It becomes a race against all odds. How do we get out of there? It's impossible! It's impossible! It's... He enters a maze of high-tech adventure. Wait a second, no practice rounds? Didn't do you any good. No one's ever made it out of this room alive. Now, only one person can untangle the puzzle. Wallace Shawn, John Reese davies Brigitte Nielsen, Nicole Eggert, and Corey Haim star in The Double O Kid. Who says a little danger can't be a lot of fun? You saved my life. Wait, don't you want my number? Did I hear that Sean Reese davies is going to be in this movie? <laughs> oh my god, I love Sala. I love Gimli, so this should be good. This is a solo Corey Haim joint, so we'll just be talking that, Corey, but excited to be talking with Austin and Mike on this next film. So that's your homework. Watch Double O Kid. <sighs> I'm double O tired. It's a school night. Gotta hit the hay, so remember guys, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop, look around once in a while, you could miss it. Let's leave you with another song from the soundtrack. You know what? We're going to do you one better. We're going to do Drive My Car, but this time it's going to be the Beatles. So, let's beat this. Later, dudes.
You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.